and we are live sorry i'm like a minute late guys um there's so much going on right now that it's just like it's from every side that's that's what is so amazing but weird it, it's we all know what's going on we all know that our government is crooked we all know the globalists are attacking us we all know this we all know that we've been lied to for years for over 150 years longer than that really when you go history now on today's show the first half hour i'm going to give you the bitcoin news and what's going on with paypal and in argentina uh the the guy who won the election is orange pilled hugely orange pilled and red pilled he's 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 not just a fan of the bitcoin he he understands right he understands the corruption the the organized global slavery trade that these central banks have been running for hundreds of years this is not new right right happy richard nixon was a horrible human being day no no off the gold standard we we weren't on a gold standard it's 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 all an illusion folks it's it's all what happened was someone called us a liar and then proved the government was a liar we weren't on a gold standard prior to nixon announcing 
Oh, yeah, we're basically full of crap. We weren't, we weren't honest players before that. Our money wasn't just before that. Nixon, Nixon was, was an agent for the good guys. Nixon, like Trump, just admitted we were full of shit. That's what Nixon did. Right? Nixon was not a horrible human being. Now, was he a good human being? No. There are no good human beings because good is relative. If you're a communist, then George Washington was bad. If if you were if you're right, if you're a Christian and Christianity leads your faith, then Catholics are bad. Jews are bad. Muslims are bad. See, our problem is, is, is we look at everyone else and we say how bad they are. When in reality, the system is bad. Now, there are people to blame for that, but it is not. Richard Nixon, right? Nixon was trying to get answers out to the people. They were trying to still figure out which one of the CIA people had actually killed JFK. Which, which agency was corrupt? Nixon was Trump in the in the nineteen seventies. That's who Nixon was. Right? Then he wasn't effective enough, in my opinion, and wasn't up to the job to root it out. Well, I agree with you. 
he wasn't effective enough. But he tried. See, we all like to quarterback everybody. Right? We all like to look back and go, nah, not good enough. Not, no, no, should have fixed it all. All should have been fixed. Uh, why the hell do we got to fight? Why do we got, look, I'm tired of fighting for my freedom. I, I just want to live a, a, a peaceful, happy existence. I'm so fucking oppressed. Every generation has to fight for their freedom because freedom's so goddamn valuable that it requires each generation to fight. So anybody sitting in their fucking chair right now who is bitching that, they, oh, we got to fight for all this. Yeah, welcome to fucking life. Welcome to the world. Did you just fucking wake up yesterday. We, everyone has this unrealistic of expectations that, that, that their life, their life should be easy. God, the Federal government so up against us. Well, welcome to the history of fucking humanity. Look, yeah, we got issues. Yeah, we got struggles as we sit on our chair and eat our fucking ice cream. And and we, we complain that we're so fucking suppressed that, that our lives suck so bad as we run outside, jump in our nice cars, or, or do what a swing by McDonald's or Taco Bell, who's poisoning us, but yet we go there and and we complain about our lives. When we have people in the world that would give their right nut to be us, Yes, Americans, we need to fight our government and we need to fight for our freedom. But we also need to realize that we are fighting from a fucking lawn chair. We're fighting from a recliner. 
right? We're we are fighting from the warmth of a nice house, right? This, it's all relative, folks. We, we have people that are being manipulated and, and, and getting raped, getting their asses kicked, getting who knows what done to them just so they can get to America and maybe have a chance. Now, I'm not saying the illegal aliens are 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 held harmless. What I'm saying is let's take a second and realize that as many problems as we have, we have answers. You, you have to understand that no matter how good your life is, you're going to bitch about something. Humans are never happy. At, no. Let, humans are never content. Humans always look at their situation and go, what do I not exactly like about it? And that's what I'm going to bitch about. We, we live in, in the land of opportunity, but it's imperfect because we are imperfect. Our view is imperfect. Tell me a time in history when everyone on the planet Earth got what they wanted and were all happy at the same time. Tell me when that was. Never. Do you think it's going to happen tomorrow? Do you think if tomorrow we got rid of the Federal Reserve and we were all using friggin' Bitcoin, you know what would happen? Someone would bitch that we weren't using Litecoin enough that we weren't using XRP enough, that XRP was undervalued, that the Divi project is not actually being adopted 
fast enough. We live in such a a such a full of shit world because of us. And it's not gonna change. Me yelling about it, it's not gonna change it. Right? That's why every day I wake up, I thank God my eyes opened, and that's it. The rest is up to life. I'm not living my life. I'm experiencing life. That's the difference. We have so many people who go through life with this unfucking real expectation that that from the moment they wake up till the moment they go to sleep, everything should line up exactly what would make them the happiest. That's not reality. That's your stupidity of your situation. If 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 you think see this is why there should not actually be any upset alive people no one alive should be upset and this is why because you have one more second every time every second you're alive you have one more second to change your life Don't look at someone else and go, oh, they need to change. They need to not do that. They need to look at yourself. You want to be happy? Make yourself happy. If you're sitting there looking at your wife or husband and going, that son of a bitch left the door open again. How many times have I told him? If you don't like the door open, fucking close the door. This is absolute It drives me nuts that there's so many people who who wake up in the morning mad about some piddly ass bullshit. 
and then want to look around for someone to change it. If, if, if you get your happiness, if your soul place that you look for happiness is someone else, it's, you're always going to be unhappy. Yeah, we got some screwed up shit going on in our government. We have some screwed up shit in our country. We got some screwed up shit in the world. But guess what? It's always been like that. It will always be like that. And get the fuck over it and go have a chocolate shake. We, we as humans, would, the founding fathers made it so, so damn simple. I guarantee somebody, when they were writing the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, someone said, Fuck, we got to keep this simple. Because we got too many dumb motherfuckers out here. Respect each other's freedom. That's it. That's it. If... If you live your life, what's the first rule? What's the golden rule? Treat others as you want to be treated. That's it. Bingo. Live your life. Have fun. Go off. Bye-bye. But no. What do we got to do? We got to go out and get in everyone else's fucking business. Everyone has that one or two people in their neighborhood that, that gives a fuck what time of day you push the trash cans out to be picked up by the trash men. Well, according to the uh, uh, neighborhood housing rules, you uh, you can't put it out uh, before five o'clock. Fuck you. Fuck you and your five o'clock. If, if the biggest worry you got 
is when your neighbors are putting out their trash can, get a fucking hobby. The point of this rant has been and brought to you by Calix Solutions <laughs> is this. None of us are ever going to be happy. We are all going to bitch. We are, we are going to complain. We're going to fight. We're going to argue. We're going to blame each other for who the fuck knows. You know what started this in my head? Last night, I'm talking to my wife, and I heard a new term. The Look this up. This is the fucking thing now. The term is time blindness. T-I-M-E. Blindness. You know what it is? It's people who are continuously late. And it's an affliction. They're trying to make being late a mental. Issue. Like it. Like the like the part of your brain that organizes your preferences is is uh, wrong. Yeah. Not 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 that not that you're wrong. The clock is wrong. Yeah. This is the world we're living in. We're living in a world, right? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Being late is probably caused by climate change or racism. Absolutely. The clock doesn't like you because of your white privilege. Yes. This is humanity. Humanity is stupid. Human we're all stupid. We all have something that I like me, right? A lot of a, a lot of people around me 
think I'm smart. Right? It's not that I'm smart. It's just I I don't look at the world with an agenda of expectations. I accept people for who they are. And then I I either hang around with them or I don't. I don't give a fuck about anything except freedom. That's it. I have people who are like, oh, well, your sign says crypto. So you're not a Bitcoin maximalist. So, well, we don't like people that have other or use other cryptocurrencies. Oh, okay. Why, why the fuck does it matter to you? Because everybody should be just Bitcoin. Oh. All right. Flower fucker. I don't know what the... The hell someone else's actions got to do with you. It's... It, it's this idea that someone else has to give a fuck about what you think. They don't. They shouldn't. My God, if you want to keep your sanity, the last thing you want to ask somebody is what do you think? Oh, Jesus. Now, I myself, I understand for the rest of my life, I have to fight for my freedom. But in fighting for my freedom, in order for me to be free, to be a dipshit human, Because I want the freedom to be my own dipshit human. I have to fight for the freedom of every other dipshit human. Even the ones I disagree with. Please hit like and subscribe to the channel. And understand, we're at war with anyone against personal freedom. That's who I'm at war with. That's it. Now, A lot of people that watch this show agree with me. 
They don't need help. They don't need your assistance. They don't give a fuck what you think. They don't give a fuck what I think, really. As they shouldn't. They just worry about their freedom, right? Chris should worry about Chris. TJ should worry about TJ. Rick should worry about Rick. Brandon should worry about Brandon. And so on and so forth. But together, we should worry about freedom. That's it. Don't, don't push anything except freedom. I, I push Bitcoin because Bitcoin is a weapon for freedom. But it is a weapon that is created for freedom. Bitcoin is, it is freedom code. That's what it is. It's freedom code. Now. In order to hold your freedom code, Bitcoin, here's a word from the sponsor. Are you buying and selling cryptos on the same laptop that you're using to browse the internet, read your email, and visit social media sites? If so, you're exposing your cryptos to theft. Whenever you're online, you're at risk of getting hacked and having your identity stolen. How would you feel if someone stole all of your cryptos? What would that do to your finances? Guard your cryptos with a safe and secure laptop from Calix Solutions. Each laptop is set up just for you and your cryptos, and then we walk you through exactly how it works. Don't risk the security of your cryptos. Order a crypto laptop from Calix Solutions now to secure your crypto future. Learn more at calixsolutions.io. All righty, everyone watching on YouTube, bye-bye. If you want to continue watching, click the link under here and go over for the next half hour over on Rumble. Now, if you want the hour and a half after that, go to either Patreon under here or sub stack for the next 20 days we have 20 percent off of all access to all my content at sub stack i recommend just go to sub stack get 20 percent off then every day five days a week you get my show all three, two, three, three and a half hours. Plus on Wednesdays, you get another three hours in the evening. 
everyone on YouTube. Bye-bye, everyone else. Hold, please. All right. Now, now that we got rid of the YouTube riffraff, and uh, also, now that rant was genuine, but it was also a test. I have a friend who works at YouTube, and he wanted to run a test on my channel. He wanted to see if the changes in my voice emotion would trigger what is a flag in their system that would kick the video up to a review place. No, not trying to get kicked off YouTube, just doing a little test. Bingo, testing the algorithms because he suspects that they've implemented new AI, but he can't prove it yet. So we wanted to run a little test. And he's like, hey, Ben, can you basically do one of your rants? And sure, why not? He's like, good, thanks. He'll let me know probably by Friday. So a, a little extra nugget of information. All right. Now, sorry, guys. Yes, you are part of an experiment. So now there are several things. We are going to watch today, folks. And I'm, it's, it's, there are things going on that are extremely interesting. Uh, Trump announced today, <laughs> I feel used, you love it, Brandon. Uh, after the announcement that the indictments from Georgia were announced last night, Trump comes out today and says, oh, oh, by the way, I'm going to do a press conference and I have documentation from Georgia's election. Folks, enjoy the show.
this is all part of the sweep up, the clean up. Hard to know who to clean up unless they raise their hand. Oh, yeah. Trump has got receipts, baby. Rick, I love that. Rick Costa, historian slash timekeeper. <laughs> I love you, brother. All right. Now, the thing that I want to make sure that everyone sees who watches my show is this. There are two things. First off, we're going to talk about RFK. And we're going to watch his his full full interview. That's how important these are. See, some of them are already being round up, brother. Don't worry. The roundups have already begun. It's just on the lowest level. The, remember during Trump when they were arresting all of the pedophiles all of the sex trafficking people we everything that happened understand didn't go away Right, the Boston bombing is a great example of this. As this all rolls out, do you think that all all that just went away? No. Right. Who do you think, right, who do you, why do you think that Sam is getting put in jail? Right. Now, Sam is a witness. Sam has information. Sam is getting flipped by the good guys. See, John, John says, the elites burnt up Maui 
Yes. But not for the reasons that people think. Right. Oprah and all of the people that are trying to purchase that land, it's not so they can put houses on it, folks. That's that. This happened. This happened. This happens every time during a war is there are people that do things during the war for after the war. See, there's a lot of people who think America's going to lose this war. Hawaii's very close to China. This, there's so much going on, folks, that is historically lines right up, right? But people don't think about it. They'll look back and go, oh, oh, I get it. See, the thing is, right, all right. That state is run by communists. Absolutely. Right? You don't. Let's think about this, folks. You don't think the government of Hawaii could have really figured out how to get those people off the land? You think the people were so strong and powerful that they have they they have just fought fought them off. No. You have to understand that that the reason Europe the reason the war was fought in Europe and why why so much was destroyed in Germany and in Europe and in in Japan Why, why they dropped a second nuke? Why the destruction? This is how you have to think like an elite. Right? 
if you plan on strategically using that land in Hawaii in the future, just light it on fire while the rest of all this is going on. Like it, it's it's block the news headlines. Use it for whatever you want to. That's that's why they don't worry about if if we know anything. That's why this is all getting exposed now. That's why this is all because none of them give a shit if anybody sees what they're doing because they have the media. They just say, here, we're going to do something just clean it up. They, we are so not a factor to them anymore. Do you understand that? That we think that People who have been scientifically and militarily and killing us for the last 150 years and using an education system to dumb us down. Do you think that at any moment they give a rat's ass that the people they're trying to kill are bitching? Oh, uh, hey, Obama. Yeah. It's, it seems like people don't like that your chef died or that you killed your chef. Eh, fuck him. You, you think Obama gives a rat's ass? You think Obama's sweating it? He doesn't care. None of them care. Right? We, we, in the grand scheme of all of this, we are ants attacking a shoelace of an asshole walking down the sidewalk. Who doesn't even know we're there? That's how much they give a fuck. They, we're not even a factor anymore. 
because they have AI, they have robotics, they have just enough humans and not us, not the, uh, they have just enough of the right humans that will serve their needs that the rest of it, they don't give a shit. They, it's, it's, that's it. They don't, they, they don't give a shit about what we say. At all. Not even a little. I mean, Look at our president. He's on vacation. You think he gives a flying fuck what's going on in Hawaii? No. He he didn't know about it anyway. They're propping his ass up on a chair. And they're just, your job is to not die. We got the rest of it. That's it. None of the global elite, right? Right. We're talking everything. First, we are talking RFK. The reason we're talking RFK is because of what RFK is saying. Now, I am not a supporter of RFK because of how his views on the Second Amendment, right? But it's important that we keep the timeline of the messaging going for the newbies, right? All of you watching my show right now who are not newbies, you you guys are... Hang on a second, right? You guys are watching this and you know what's going on. What we're doing now, what my goal is now is to entertain you guys, keep you guys all in in the new know and bring in the stragglers who who like my show and get them up to date. This is all part of the Great Awakening. My show awakens some people. Other shows awaken other people. People are awake by many different shows 
or in information sources or whatever. And along with that, we, I, us, our team, FGTV, all of us, we're moving the adoption of Bitcoin forward with the clubs, right? We're just chucking away at the struggle. The struggle's real, folks. Now, the reason that we're going to sit here and watch Tucker Carlson and watch uh, RFK talk about his uncle. He names names of who killed JFK in this interview. He explains how a guy named uh, Tellus Yes, the airport up in New York. Tell us. Or is that Washington, D.C.? I think it's New York. I'm not for sure. Right? Hell, that might be Texas. I don't know. Tell us airport. Wherever the hell that's at. Right? That that guy. That guy is who led the killing of JFK. He he was running the CIA. He was running the Miami CIA headquarters. He this is all known, folks. All right? Lee Harvey Oswald's handler was the same handler for the mafia uh, head honcho in New Orleans. Who was the mafia's head honcho's right-hand man at the time? A guy named Pelosi. Wait. Pelosi? Yeah. Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi's dad was a CIA agent working with the mafia. This is, this is all tied together, folks. Now, I digress. That's everyone needs to see this episode of Tucker Carlson, right? So we're going to watch it together. 
right after this. Now, a word from the sponsor. Are you buying, Are you and, selling buying and selling cryptos on the same laptop, laptop that you're using, that you're to, using browse to browse the internet, read your email, read your email visit and visit social media, social media sites? If so, if so you're exposing, you're exposing your, cryptos your cryptos to theft. Whenever you're online, Whenever you're, you're, online, at, you're at risk of getting hacked, hacked, hacked and having your identity stolen. How would you feel if someone stole all of your cryptos? What would that do to your finances? Guard your cryptos with a safe and secure laptop with Solutions. Each laptop is set up just for you and your cryptos. And then we walk you through exactly, through exactly how, it how it works. Don't risk, Don't the, security risk the security of your cryptos. Order a crypto laptop from Calix Solutions now to secure your crypto future. Learn more at calixsolutions.io. Now, before I go to do the private server shit, that's right, I gotta switch to private Well, here, let me in this because that's gonna fuck this up anyway there we go there we go all right now we're switching over to the uh private server if you want to watch the rest of the t now just for a preview of what's coming next on today's show is this Tucker Carlson and RFK? They talk about how how uh, Fauci was right. How 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 Fauci was brought in specifically for bioweapons after. 2001, after the Trade Center, right? They talk about JFK. They talk about RFK's dad, right? And they talk about, well, I'll leave that up to you. I'll leave that for suspense. Now, after that, we're going to watch an episode and we're going to learn how Raytheon is communicating with aliens from Antarctica. From a guy who worked at Raytheon up in Antarctica. Arctica and ran the machine that did it or had access to the machine that sent the messages. Here we go, folks. So, if you want to watch an interesting, more than interesting show for the next hour and a half, two hours, Click the link under here. Join the sub stack. There's 20% off, which makes it like, I think, $8 a month. I think. Hell, maybe less. Hell, it might be six. I don't know. Oh, well. But 
That's the private server fee, right? Join here. Join under here. Other than that, everyone, I'll see you tomorrow morning unless you're private server people. Love of you guys. See you in a second. I'll be right back. Alrighty, we are back, I think. Can I get a five by five over, uh, over in the chat? Make sure I'm right here. Thank you, Rick. All right. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. All right, here we go. Now, if you ain't seen this, hold on, folks. You're about to be impressed. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. conducted in the last 15 years that doesn't mention vaccines. But if you're interested in why we have found ourselves at war with Russia, or who killed his uncle, President Kennedy, and why, it's worth watching. Bobby Kennedy Jr., thank you for joining us. Uh, so I noticed when you showed up, you've been on the road for weeks, you had no Secret Service with you, which is a little weird given your, well, that your father was murdered while running for president, as you now are. Why wouldn't you have Secret Service protection? Well, uh... You know, I did do a tweet on that that got uh, 30 million views when, when we got rejected. I, we applied in May for Secret Service protection. There actually, Secret Service protection was only allocated to the nominees of the parties prior to 1968. But when my father was killed, they changed the law immediately. And all of the people who were running against him, including um, uh, including George Wallace, immediately got Secret Service protection. So the law says that you're entitled to Secret Service protection automatically 100 days out. Um, but the president 
also has discretion to give Secret Service protection to any candidate, any candidate for any reason. And there are criteria, which is that you have to have 15% of uh, polling results for a limited period of time. But he even can overrule that. For example, President Obama was given Secret Service protection 441 days out or five, no, 551 days out, even though he had uh, only, I think, 5% uh, support at that time. Um, my uncle Teddy was given Secret Service protection 450 days out, um, even though he had not even declared for his presidency. And so Carter, it, he and Carter hated each other. Carter was President Carter was, you know, the president of his own party and Teddy had been enormously critical of him. And personally, they had they had a very personal antipathy for one another. And Teddy ended up running against them. But when he was moving into that decision to run, Carter, in a very classy move, gave him Secret Service protection. Oh, we applied for it. I get a lot of threats, a lot of death threats, and I get, you know, a lot of uh, people who are, for example, about two weeks ago, a mentally ill person made it to the second story of my house. And that is a very, very common occurrence. In, inside your house? Yeah, inside my house. Before, you know, somebody who was working there uh, stopped them and then called the police. And we have a we gave the Secret Service a 67. In fact, Gavin DeBecker, who you've had on this show, yes. who's the premier, runs the premier security service in the world, um, put together a 67-page report, which included 28 pages of, you know, of all the threats of, you know, typical threats against me and, um, and other indicia that I should have Secret Service protection. And we, I assume the president would give it to me because, um, you know, it just seems like bad judgment not to give it to me. You know, if you go even on my Twitter feed, probably one out of, I don't know, every 30 or 40 comments says, oh, you're going to get killed or something like that. You know, it, just, it takes notice of the peculiar threats to my family, who, family members who are in this business. Oh, it's something that, you know, the, the average American is aware of. And your and, name is Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, um, and so it was an odd decision. I got a letter. Uh, Gavin actually got the letter because he had been doing. And by the way, I want to say this. The Secret Service themselves were wonderful. They were very, very encouraging and they were very helpful at, at every step along the way. And I, I believe and I can't speak for them. But I believe that their assumption was that, they, that we were going to get a secret service protection. In fact, they told Gavin, we're going to send somebody out there within 10 days to interview Cheryl and Bobby and um, to, you know, to tell them uh, what it's going to look like. Because there's a lot of questions about, you know, do I go to the gym? Do I have them? You know, all of these questions that I don't know the answers to. And they, they come and they have, a, they have a standard process for informing you. But then they went dark. And they said, uh, a decision is made very quickly within 14 days, is what they told us. And they said, we have eight details standing by ready to go, so we can do this very quickly. And then they went dark, and for 88 days, uh, we didn't hear from them. And then I got the letter from Mayorkas, 
Alexander Mayorkas, who's the director of DHS, um, saying that we've determined that you don't need secret service protection. But it, it's very obvious, and you've confirmed it, that there are threats against your life, against your family. That's known. And so if they deny you protection, and they know that, what message are they sending? Uh, I, I don't really know what they're, they're doing. And by the way, you know, we've looked, and um, there's a guy called Jeremy Hammond, who's done a really good article, a really thorough article about the past. And he was not able, and we were not able to find a single presidential candidate who had requested uh, protection from the president and was not given protection. You know, uh, Herman Cain got it, I think, 500 days out. Uh, Jesse Jackson, Shirley Chisholm, George Bush and Ronald Reagan got it something five or 600 days out when they first ran. So it's just standard operating procedure, and particularly people who are polling around the anywhere over 15%, which I have been for four or five months now, um, are you know regarded as uh, it, it's been treated as pro forma, and I am the outliner, I'm the single outliner that we could find that was denied Secret Service. Why do you think that is? I think um, that you know I think the DNC is playing hardball. And let's say this, I think the least malevolent uh, interpretation that you can put on it is that um, they know that I'm going to have to have some kind of security service. And that typically would cost me, uh, you know, to do to do real security service between $100,000 and $200,000 a month. Because you have to pay the protectors, you have to pay for their transportation, you have hotels, to pay for their, their, the cars. and. Uh, the hotels, the foods, and all of this, and it's very expensive because I'm traveling every day. So I think they, you know, they probably feel like they can bleed me white by, you know, making making sure that I'm not uh, that I'm not spending that money on advertising or organization, but that I have to raise a lot of money for my own protection. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating about that. Does it strike you that the Biden administration pays for personal security for Zelensky? But not for you. No, well, they, you know, listen, John Bolton has still has a secret service detail. Um, still? Yeah, still. He hasn't been in government in years. And um, he didn't do a good all, job. You know, all the president's family um, have secret service details. You know, Hunter has a secret service detail. When he goes to court every day, he has four or five cars that are coming with him in a very, very big detail. Oh, and, you know, many government officials who are ex-government officials, what the Secret Service told us, and what, and you can go to look at Jerry Hammond's, uh, Jeremy Hammond's report, uh, which you can find on, uh, I think you just go on the internet, put Jeremy Hammond and, you know, RFK, Secret Service. Um, but uh, he, you know, he shows that, that literally nobody, no presidential candidate, many, many other people are receiving it. But I, and I'm really like an outlier. So I mean, that raises the larger, I mean, you're running against Biden, right? So obviously yeah. you're not on his Christmas card list anymore, <laughs> but it does raise the bigger question. Why do people in Washington have this, and not just in government, but also in media, have this kind of special loathing for you, this hatred? I don't know that. I cannot answer that question. I I am, um, 
I'm kind of, I'm shocked, even though, you know, I've been, uh, I'd say maligned for many years because of the stuff that I was doing with vaccines, the kind of the uniformity of the, the vitriol against me and the mainstream media and the dishonesty of it, that, you know, virtually every article contains uh, not just outright, not just mischaracterizations, but also just outright lies, things that any fact checker could look up and determine were not true. Um, and they all are doing it, whether it's Vanity Fair or whether it's the Atlantic Monthly or Washington Post, Boston Globe. Um, uh, there's just, there's virtually no exception. Uh, what do you think your, your crime is? I think part of it is that there's been, and again, I don't know, I can't explain it. Somebody else, I know somebody will explain it in a way at one point where I'll go, ah, that makes sense. But right now what it seems to me is that there's been this alignment, this political alignment that I think really started with Fox News back, you know, when Roger was running things there where he, he overtly made it a political network. He yes. aligned it with the Republican Party and he said, we're gonna push their agenda. And up until then, that has considered been considered a journalistic ethical breach. You know, the, the, the networks were, were supposed to at least pretend neutrality and, uh, and the newspapers as well. But um, now I think that business model works so well for Fox. And, and again, that I think MSNBC and CNN adopted the same uh, business model. And then there's been this big consolidation in the media where there really is no independent media. You have every newspaper in this country, every radio station, every TV station, um, almost all the billboards and most of the large internet content providers that are now owned by five companies. You know, that was illegal under the 1928 communication, the Radio Act. But um, today it's been, uh, that has been what's happened. We've had this big consolidation and I think the profit models for Wall Street, which now, you know, it's BlackRock and Vanguard and Safe Street, which own them all. And they have to, oh, the news divisions have become business models, business um, profit centers. And they've aligned themselves. They've figured out that their strategy is to align themselves with the DNC or the RNC. That's the only thing I can, that's the best explanation. And it's probably not a very good one, but and you're there the way is this the weird DNC. uniformity. Oh, uh, well, it, but its effect is to ignore stories that are objectively the most important stories. I mean, wherever you fall on those questions, there's no like denying that the war in Ukraine is changing the world, it will change history. Most of the stuff is a footnote, that's a, that's a book. And yet the coverage of it is like not even. Yeah. So for example, the president. That, that's much more consequential. Well, it's the most consequential, Ultimately, but it's and, and yeah. the coverage of me, which is there's no questioning of these orthodoxies. And when it comes to the Ukraine war, I mean, we're being lied to about it. In what and, way? Well, I mean, we were lied to from the beginning. You know, we had this comic book depiction that which we see on every war. There's a bad guy who's like, uh, you know, in unspeakably evil. Yes. Who's planning world conquest or terrorist attack on you know the on the on America, and we have to be the good guys and go in and and stop it. And you know the Ukraine, the background of the Ukraine war is much more complex than that. You know the the U.S. has been involved in 
particularly the neocons in the White House. I wouldn't say particularly, I'd say a group of people that are known as neocons since 2001 have been talking about putting NATO in Ukraine. Now, in, and I'll give you some back, the background. In 1992, the walls came down and the Soviet Union collapsed. Gorbachev went to Tony Blair and to President Bush, who were you know, the British, the UK and US presidents at that time, and said, I'm going to do something extraordinary that basically is going to have the rest of Russian history branding me as a traitor to my country. I'm going to withdraw 400,000 Soviet troops from East Germany, and I'm going to allow you to reunify Germany under NATO troops. So you're going to move NATO troops, a hostile, hostile force, into our barracks and our bases. I'm going to do that. And the only commitment I want from you is that once I allow Germany to reunify, to become part of NATO, that you will never move NATO further to the east because we're going to now release all of these uh, Soviet states that were part of the Soviet Union. They're going to become independent states, and we don't want NATO moving into those. And James Baker, who was the Secretary of State at that time, famously said, we, we promise that we will not move NATO one inch to the east. Gorbachev now did that, and he's now, you know, despised in, in Russia. Um, and, and then in 1996 and 1997, so five years later, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was the first kind of the father of the neocon movement, the, neocon, well, the neocons um, represent in a, you know, uh, in a sentence, is that they were a group of people who believed, and you know, Donald Rumsfeld and Jonathan Yu and Paul Wolfowitz, Robert Kagan, Victoria Newland, who's now at the top wife, State Department yeah. official. Their belief was that the U.S. had won the Cold War, and that victory gave us the um, the privilege of dominating the world using our superior military unipower status and our superior military status for the next century. So. Their principal blueprint document is called Project for a New American Century. In other words, America would own the 21st century. So Brzezinski says, okay, we should start, start this process by moving NATO into all the former satellite states. Well, if that, and this was 1997. At that time, George Kennan was still around. Now, George Kennan, as you know, was the principal architect of the Cold War containment policy. He's, he's arguably the most important, most respected diplomat and statesman in American history. Oh, he said, if you do that, you are going to provoke a violent response from Russia. They cannot live with NATO on their borders. They cannot any more than we would live with, you know, with a Soviet alliance in Mexico and and uh, and Canada. Um, the at that time the the uh, uh, Bill Perry was was Clinton's Secretary of State, and Bill Perry said, "If you do this, you go forward with this plan. I'm going to resign because it's so foolhardy. You are you are forcing Russia into a violent military response." And the so the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union um, at that time, uh, who who is now head of the of the CIA said the same thing. It is it, it is it's the worst mistake America can make.
to move NATO to the east. So we went ahead and did it. We moved it not at one, not one inch, but 1,000 miles, 14 countries. And then we put nuclear-ready missile launchers, Aegis missile systems, which are made by Lockheed and can take Tomahawk missiles 12 minutes from Moscow. We could, in 12 minutes, decapitate the entire leadership of Russia. And we put those in Poland and Romania. And we then tried to move it into Ukraine, NATO into Ukraine. So you remember when my uncle, when when Russia puts up, put missile systems, nuclear missile systems in Cuba, and my uncle would have had to invade. He was able, the reason Russia put them there then is because we had put nukes, Jupiter missiles in Turkey and Italy. My uncle and father made a, um, a secret deal with Ambassador Del Brennan, where we, where they said to him, "Look, we understand you're angry. You cannot live with Jupiter missiles in Turkey. That's why you put your missiles in Cuba. If you remove your missiles from Cuba within six months, we will remove ours from Turkey." But nobody says what the deal was, and that's what happened. So now we're back, and we've again put you know, nuclear-ready nuclear missile systems are along right next to Russia. And now we want to go do the one thing that Russia has said, and Putin said again and again and again, this is a red line. Before Putin, the Russian leadership was saying, it is a red line, you cannot go into Ukraine. The Russians have been invaded three times from you. Our country's never been invaded. The Russians were invaded three times through Ukraine. The last time they were invaded, uh, Hitler killed between 20 and 40 million Russians. Hitler killed one out of every seven Russians. In, in my uncle's speech to um, uh, his most famous speech in, in American University in, in 1963, in July of 1963, he said to the American people, he said, you know, we're all taught we won, won World War II, but we didn't win World War II. The Russians won it. And the sacrifice they made to destroy Hitler was beyond anything Americans can imagine. He was trying to tell the American people, you have to put your, yourselves, ourselves in their position, understand what they're doing. And he said, uh, he said, a third of the country was leveled. Every city, the forest burned, the cities were leveled, the forests and fields burned. Imagine if that happened from the coast, the east coast of the United States, to every city, forest, and field from here to Chicago. That's what the Russians put up with. So we have to understand this, that Ukraine is a red line. The invasion came through Ukraine, and they can't live with it. It's, an, it's a security issue for them that is beyond our, almost beyond our comprehension. And so, you know, we've had... Uh, but, so that suggests the point is war with Russia. The point was war with Russia. And in fact, you know, the neocon said that again and again, that our, and, and Biden, when he was at, so, and, and let me get back to that, okay? Because that is absolutely true. The, um, the Biden, you know, was as, well, first of all, in 2014, to go through the modern history, 2014, there are riots in, it's called the Madonna Rebellion, Rebellion in Ukraine which we're not told that we are financing those riots. The, the newspapers never told us, our government never told us. USAID, which is a CIA front, put $5 billion into funding those riots. Those riots lead to, the, uh, to a coup d'etat against the 
first elected, democratically elected government of the Ukraine. It was a government that refused to choose sides and to say, we're going to be on the side of the West. So we wanted them out. A month before that government is overthrown, Victoria Newland, who's you know the part of the, the, the centerpiece of the neocon ideology and who is now a high-level official in the State Department, has a secret call with the U.S. ambassador, which is tape-recorded and is now public, which anybody can go and look up, where she is picking the new cabinet for the Ukraine, which for Ukraine, which is. Uh, you know, which is a U.S. Western cabinet. So they're picking the new government a month before the old government is overthrown. Is that how democracy, is that democracy when Tory <laughs> Newland picks your government? Well, that's, that's the, the point is USAID doesn't really do, and the CIA don't do democracy. Like, you know, the CIA has overthrown, I think, 83 governments between 1947 and 1997. That's a third of the governments on earth, and most of them were democracies. Oh, it doesn't do, it doesn't do democracy, it does good, it does. So then, you know, to put the rest of this history, and we put in a U.S., a Western government, the Russia, everybody says, well, oh, the Russians started this by invading Crimea. But put yourself in Putin's position, and I'm not an apologist for Putin, by the way. He went into Ukraine, it was illegal, my son went over there and fought against it, you know, and, and risked his life in the in uh, Kharkiv rebellion. I'm not making excuses for him. What he did was brutal. It was illegal and it was unnecessary. But we have to understand our role in the provocations. And so, so if you're in Putin's position, now you're looking at Ukraine and Ukraine is being run by a, a pro-U.S. government. What's the first thing he thinks? They're going to take Vladivostok which is the port in the Crimea on the Black Sea, which has been a Russian port, their only warm water port for 347 years. It's where the Russian Navy is, their sub base, it's everything else. And he says, now this new government is gonna invite the US Navy in to take over our facilities. We gotta go in there and take it back. So he goes into Crimea, he goes in and takes Crimea without killing, without firing a shot or killing a certain, a, a, a single person. The, the Crimean population is, is largely Russian and they welcome the invasion. So, you know, again, I'm not making excuses for him, but I'm saying we have to understand, my uncle always said, we have to understand the, 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 um, the position of our adversaries and, you know, what, what forces are they dealing with? Um, so, so then, in twenty, then the Russians now. Now there's, you know, as soon as we put in that new government, the first rule they pass is to make the Russian language essentially illegal in Donbas and Lugansk, where ninety percent of the population are Russian. And they and there there's then peaceful uprising which people begin dying you know they they turn violent now which side made them violent is a dispute but it's not a dispute the Russians were now being treated the Russian ethnic Russian population in Ukraine is now being treated like redheaded stepchildren they're not you know they're being slapped around and they're being abused and they're not being allowed to practice their culture or their language and so. Um, there is a vote then in the in uh, in Donbas, Lugansk, where they vote 90 to 10 to join Russia. Russia says no. Putin says no. I don't want you unless sign an agreement that protects you. So they put together an agreement with France, Germany, and Russia called the Minsk Accords. The Minsk Accords 
say, leave Donbass and Lugansk as part of Ukraine, but make them semi-autonomous so they can speak their own language, and so the Russians who live there are going to be protected from violence by the government. And um, and the the only the, the Russian parliament or the Ukrainian parliament won't ratify the Minsk Accords, but France agreed to it, Germany agreed to it, and Putin agreed to it. So then Zelensky runs in 2019. Zelensky is a comedian and he's an actor. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way because my wife is a comedian and an actor, but I'm saying it because here's a guy with no political background who wins the election with 90% of the vote. Why did he win the election? He won the election because he ran on a peace platform. He ran promising that he would sign the Minsk Accords. He gets into office the minute he gets there and he's told everybody, I'm going to sign the Minsk Accords and settle the peace with Russia. He, he suddenly pivots. And the we don't know what happened, but the, the rational assumption is that the U.S. government told him he could not do that. So the Victoria Newland and, and Anthony Blinken and Avril Haines, oh, who's the DNI Director of National Intelligence, told him you cannot have a peace with Russia. Plus, people within, you know, ultra-nationalists within Ukraine told him if you sign that, we're going to kill you. And a lot of people say, uh, anyway, they threatened him with death, and that is pretty well documented. Then Russia invades. But Russia only invades, and so we say, oh, look, he, you know, Putin is trying to take over Europe. But but they only send in 40,000 troops. I think there's three and a half million people in Kiev, so they clearly did not want to take the country. He wanted, he clearly wanted to bring people to the negotiating table. He did not send in enough troops to take all of, of Ukraine. So, um, so then, and, they, and Zelensky comes to the negotiating tables, and we now know this, and this is recent information. In March of 2022, Zelensky and Putin agree on a peace agreement that's based upon the Minsk Accords. There's, it's like Minsk Accords 2.0. And Zelensky initials it, the Russians initial it, and Russia begins withdrawing its troops from Ukraine. And what happens? President Biden sends Boris Johnson over there to torpedo the agreement and make, make Zelensky tear it up. And then we go to war. 350,000 Ukrainian kids are now dead. And, um, and, you know, 40 or 50,000 Russians. So, and, and, and that month, April, that April is when they signed it in March. April, we, Boris Johnson was sent over there to torpedo it. Um, and that month, Lloyd Austin, who is the Secretary of Defense under, uh, under Biden, is asked, why are we at war with, with, uh, in Ukraine? And he said, our purpose in this war is to exhaust the Russian army and degrade its capacity to fight anywhere else in the world. That is not what they're telling us. But, but do they, and Biden that month says, when he's asked about the war in Ukraine, he says, our purpose is regime change in Russia. So again, that has nothing to do with Ukraine. What that means is that Ukraine 
is a proxy in essentially a struggle between two superpowers, between Russia and the United States. And, you know, we've now committed $113 billion over there. And just to put that in perspective, the total budget of EPA is $12 billion. The total budget of the CDC is twelve. And we're sending $113 billion over. When, um, when uh, Mitch McConnell was asked, how can we do this? You know, when our country, when you're cutting food stamps and cutting Medicare, cutting food stamps to 30 million Americans, cutting Medicare to 15 million Americans, but not going to have any health insurance, how can we spend 113 billion over there? If we if we don't if we had that 113 billion here, we wouldn't have had to cut one food stamp payment. And he said, "Well, don't worry. The money's not staying in Ukraine. It's all coming back to military contractors in the United States." Well, so that's interesting because then you look at you know who owns those military contractors, and and you see who gets on CNN to to pump up the Ukraine war. It's a bunch of former generals and colonels and Pentagon people. But if you go in and, and CNN never and MSNBC never do this, but if you go look at those guys, they're all people who are working for Raytheon and General Dynamics and Boeing and Lockheed. So they're generals, but they're not identified that you know they're actually working for the military contractors are cashing in on the war and then you know those military contractors in turn are owned by three companies all of them are owned by three companies by blackrock state street and vanguard and um and you know the inflation that from printing the money to fund the war and to fund the 2016 trillion we spent to fund the lockdowns the COVID lockdowns, eight trillion we've spent on these wars since twenty twenty. All of them losing wars. All of them have made our country less safe. Look at what this war is doing. We have pushed Russia into the embrace of China, which is the worst foreign policy outcome imaginable. It is not good for the national security of our country, and we're now have 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 Putin's back to the wall. Well, Putin is the world's leading nuclear superpower. We aren't. He's got a thousand more nukes than we do, and their nukes are much better than ours. They can shoot down our nukes. We can't shoot down theirs. Oh, you know, we're, we are going up against, a, a, you know, we are provoking a, 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 a confrontation that could very easily lead to nuclear war. You know, and I've, I've talked to Wait, can I ask you to pause here for a second? Yeah. Everything you've said is checkable and rational, yeah. and you're extrapolating out toward the future, which is easy to envision. Like, I don't really see, I don't understand how our policymakers aren't reaching the same conclusions you just reached. Like, they think that war with Russia is where we're going to win? We, we cannot win this war. Well, of course, so what are they doing? I don't it understand. It would be like Mexico beating us in a war. They're not going to let the Ukraine, they cannot lose this war. And, you know, anybody who thinks Russia is not up to the war, go look at the Netflix documentary on Stalingrad and look at the sacrifice they were willing to, that Russians are willing to make. Putin today, you know, we thought this was gonna hurt him. He's more popular than he's ever been. All the US polling firms show him polling at 90% popularity. And, and you know- In and, Russia. In Russia, among the Russians are supporting him and, he also, you know, we were we were going to break him with the sanctions. We did the opposite. We made him more powerful.
he's now insulated from the, you know, from the trade and the international banking system. He's now got this great trade agreement with China. He's now, you know, engineering the creation of, of BRICS, which we, which has 40 leading nations around the world turning against the U.S. currency as a reserve currency and adopting his petrol currency or the Chinese currency, that is the worst threat to the United States. That will plan, if we lose that status as the world's reserve currency, you know, it, it, the Great Depression will look like a cakewalk. So I agree with all of that and, and all of it. I mean, your position to my ears sounds moderate and obvious. I just don't understand how the Secretary of State, how, how the President, how his, his competent advisors can't have reached the same conclusions. Like, what are they thinking? Uh, well, you know, the, unfortunately, I think, and I don't, you know, I share your, your sense of mystery about that, but I don't, you know. what you're saying is not crazy. It's not like some uh, far out I, theory. Uh, I mean, the only way I can explain it, and I'm not, you know, I don't like to put, look into other people's heads and, yes. and tell why they're doing one thing or another. But President Biden has always been a very pro-war president. And, you know, he was the one senator that stood out supporting the Iraq war, my uncle and Obama and, and many, many, and, you know, Hillary also. But Biden has always been a reliable, you know, gung ho, let's go to war guy. And um, so I don't think um, to the extent that he's thought this all through, I just, I think it, it follows, it's consistent with his historical instincts. And then he's surrounded by people who are, you know, these are the same people who got us in the Iraq war. I know. Look at what happened. Let, let's just, let me go through what happened in Iraq, just for, you know, give me one minute to summarize the, you know, we were tricked into Iraq by the neocons who told us that Saddam had something to do with the World Trade Center, which was a lie, that he had planted the anthrax attacks that came five days after the World Trade Center, which was a lie. That turned out to be, you know, the, the intelligence agencies and the U.S. military at Fort Detrick. That anthrax the FBI found came from Fort Detrick. So it was somebody in the U.S. government who sent it to Patrick Leahy and Tom Daschle, who were the two senators in the week after 9-11 who were trying to block the Patriot Act. And it shut down Congress and the Patriot Act went through. And so, um, so the, the, and then they told wait, wait, us- Wait, 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 really? Yeah, yes. Uh, and the FBI, after a year of investigation, raised the anthrax. It was a kind of Ames anthrax that was weaponized. And the only source of that in the world could be the U.S. government, and they traced it to Fort Detrick. In so Maryland. the biolab there. Yes, the biolab at Fort Detrick, the CIA biolab at Fort Detrick. So somebody sent that in at the time the Patriot Act was being debated, and the two leading guys who were blocking it was Patrick Lee and Tom Daschle were the recipients of it. It shut down Congress, the Patriot Act goes through, and what does the Patriot Act do? Two things, I mean, it, it it basically gets rid of a lot, a large part of the United States Constitution Bill of Rights and allows spying by intelligence agencies on the American people. And it reopens the bioweapons arms race because bioweapons were shut down in 1969 by, um, we, we saw, you know, Nixon did this incredible thing of closing Fort Detrick, shutting them down and saying, we're no longer making bioweapons and then got everybody to sign a treaty in 73. Well. To, to bioweapons. The Patriot Act has a provision in it 
that says we're not walking away from the Geneva Convention, which makes you it's a hanging offense to develop bioweapons. We're not walking away from um, from the Bioweapons Charter of 1972-1973, but we are adopting a new rule that any federal official who violates those acts cannot be prosecuted. So it reopened, it effectively got rid of- A crime without a punishment. Yeah, but anyway, um, you know, anyway, I forgot where we- So, so let me add, it's an interesting segue, because <laughs> Toria Newland kind of blithely announced during congressional testimony last year that, oh, by the way, we have these bio labs in Ukraine. Yeah. And that was like kind of ignored and the people who covered it got attacked for covering it. But the fact remains there are U.S. biolabs in Ukraine. Why would we have biolabs in Ukraine? Um, we have biolab labs in Ukraine because we're developing bioweapons. And, you know, and those bioweapons are using all kinds of new synthetic uh, biology and CRISPR technology and genetic engineering techniques that were not available to previous generation. And they can make frightening, frightening stuff. Um, what happened was, and uh, you know, when when we walked away from when the Patriot Act reopened the bioweapons arms race in two thousand one, the Pentagon began putting a lot of money into bioweapons, but they were nervous at that time because if you violate Geneva, the Geneva Convention, it's a hanging offense, and they weren't sure that that provision in the Patriot Act would actually hold up as a loophole to treaties that had been ratified by Congress. So they were nervous about actually going full force into bioweapons development. So they transferred the authority for uh, biosecurity to one agency in the, in the HHS, uh, called the National Institute for Infectious and Allergic Diseases, run by Anthony Fauci. So Anthony Fauci got all the responsibility for bioweapons development. He got at that time a 68% raise from the Pentagon in order to do that work. So, and that's why he was the highest paid official in American in the American government of you know four four million people in the American. He's the high. He gets more money. He got more money, four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year than the president. That any Supreme Court judge, any, any member of Congress, he was the highest paid, and it's because he got that 68% raised from the Pentagon to do bioweapons development. Now, when you do bioweapons development, every bioweapon needs a vaccine. So you develop them side by side because in 100% of the cases, when you deploy a bioweapon, there's blowback. Your side also gets sick. So in order to deploy one offensively, you need a vaccine to, um, to counter it. So you need to vaccinate your team before you deploy it. So those two things are, are developed through a, a, a field of science called gain-of-function science, where you take infections, where you take an infectious microbe and you amplify its infectivity, or you make it jump species, so it may kill monkeys, now you make it kill humans, and you adopt it that way, and there's all kinds of methods, but, and then you make it immune to antibiotics and to therapeutic drugs and to other therapies, so it's actually the inverse of medicine. For 2,800 years since Hippocrates, doctors have been trying to figure out how to make microbes less infectious and less deadly and develop antibiotics and therapeutics to do that. Well, this, the guys who are involved in this, there's 36,000 what are called life scientists, but they're actually death scientists 
um, who are now employed full-time in developing, you know, microbes that will can be used to kill people. But and, given the experience we just had three years ago, yeah. where a virus from a bio lab yeah. upturned. So, so let, let me just finish this brief history about what yeah. happened. In 2014, three of those micros escaped. You know, um, Fauci built labs all over the country, in Galveston and Boston, everywhere. There are BSL-4 labs. We don't even know how many there are, BSL-3 and BSL-4. We have no idea how many there are. There's, um, you know, we've counted, I have a new book coming out that goes through the ones we know. But there are many secret ones that people don't know about, and they're doing it here in the United States. But in 2014, three bugs escaped from three different labs. And they were high-profile breaks, and they were very dangerous things, smallpox and, uh, and a couple of other uh, bad, bad, bad microbes. The public learned about it, and there was a lot of publicity, and Congress held hearings. 300 scientists wrote President Obama and said, you've got to shut down Anthony Fauci because he's going to create a microbe that will, uh, that will cause a global pandemic. And so Obama signed a moratorium that shut down the 18 worst of Anthony Fauci's experiments, where most of them were taking place in Galveston and in North Carolina uh, by a scientist called Ralph Barrick down there. Uh, and, uh, and instead of obeying that law, Anthony Fauci shifted a lot of his operations offshore. And those operations ended up, most of them in the Wuhan lab, which is a military lab, and that the Chinese run, the People's Liberation Army, and uh, and then a lot of them went to the Ukraine. So a lot of that science now, and it's funded, not, you know, Fauci was funding lots of it, but then the, the other government agencies began to get confidence in, you know, their ability to get away with it. And most of it is being funded by the Department of Defense. The most of all, the biggest single funder is USAID, which is, you know, a CIA cutout. Do you think the lab leak was a leak or was it an intentional? Uh, well, I, the best science shows that it indicates that the people who were working on um, a particular coronavirus technology that was taught by Ralph Barrick funded, it was developed by the U.S. government by NIH, with NIH money. It was then taught to a, a group of scientists Xi Zheng Li, who's famous, the bat lady, and then her assistant, Ben Hu, and a couple of other scientists at the Wuhan lab. Barrett taught them two things. He taught them, one, how to engineer the spike with a fur and cleave that could attach to the ACE2 receptors of the human lungs and make people sick and spread you know, through the air. He taught them another trick that has nothing to do with public health, conceivably, which is a technique called seamless ligation which is a technique for disguising the evidence of human tampering. So you can make the microbe and then you can erase the evidence that human beings actually made that microbe. And, um, and, and Ben Hu was leading that research. Ben Hu then got sick with two other of his fellow researchers and they ended up in the hospital with COVID symptoms in November of 2019. So I, it, it appears that Ben Hu, and then Ben Hu, the, the subway line that goes past the Wuhan lab and goes straight to the airport, 
all the original cases were along that subject line. And so the intelligence, the intelligence agencies that are actually being honest about that, and most of them are not, um, believe that it, Ben Hu and two other researchers got sick in the, the most likely scenario is that Ben Hu and two other researchers who work, were working on infectious coronavirus bioweapons got sick and got with and they didn't know it. And so they were riding that subway line every day and infecting people before they actually got symptoms. And that's probably what happened, but nobody knows. Um, you've said a number of times publicly, many times publicly, and I think it's now been confirmed that CIA had knowledge of, at, at best, had knowledge of your uncle's assassination, new things that's still being hidden now. What do you think, um, and that's obviously true, what do you think the motive was in that killing? Well, I think the people who were involved in it, the specific people who were involved in it were, um, were almost all associated with the Miami station, which was the largest CIA station at that time. And it was basically, uh, uh, it was the Cuban station. And the people um, who were involved in that station were uh, people like Bill Harvey um, and David Atlee Phillips, who was clearly involved in my uncle's assassination. He was, uh, by all evidence, he was Lee Harvey Oswald's handler at the CIA. Um, and and then E. Howard Hunt, who made a confession, David Morales, who is the, you know, the chief hitman. He ran the Operation Phoenix program in Vietnam. He killed 10,000 people, civilians over there, murdered them. And he he also gave a confession of being um, in Dallas. And then there were, most of the people were associated with Cuba and the, you know, the, and, and the impetus came from that group of people who were, um, who were angry at my uncle for not sending an air cover during the Bay of Pigs invasion. And then even more so after the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, um, my uncle then developed this friendship with Khrushchev and he shut down all of the Cuban attacks by Alpha 66 and these other groups that were harassing Cuba. They were sinking ships, sinking Russian ships. They were operating flotillas out of South Florida and, and doing raids on, and my uncle and father sent the Coast Guard down to confiscate their boats and their weaponry and to arrest the ones that continued to do it. And those people, those individuals um, were also, you know, have been traced and, and tracked the assassination um, and, uh, uh, you know, over the years. And they're now, there's been, you know, there's millions of documents. I mean, I, you know, the, but, but why not release all the What doesn't make sense to me is why not just admit it now? I mean, no, no one you describe would be is still alive. There's no, no everybody, person. everybody now, all virtually. So why wouldn't Biden said, declassify these well, documents? I, I don't know why. And why would Trump not? Trump I agree. Trump. I totally, why? Well, I, I know why Trump wouldn't because why? he was convinced by Mike Pompeo not to. So, and it's not an excuse, but not, you know, yeah, but we don't, we don't know what, 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 what Mike Pompeo said to him. That, no, but that's the point. Like yeah. what, what I mean, could possibly the law, the law be requires the, them to do it. So they, the, the JFK assassinations law required that all documents be released by 2017. Yeah. And, um, and yet they refuse. So they, uh, but it suggests that there's, there's something about 4,000 of them. 
um, that are left. And you you have to assume, and again, I don't try, I try not to talk about things that I cannot document. Right. Um, but I, I think there's a, it's a fair assumption that they're not protecting individuals, that they're protecting some institutional interest. Um, What's the but, most powerful institution in America? Well, I, you know, I, I, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, I don't know. I don't know. And, I, and you know, I. You don't know. Yeah, don't it's, know. but it's, it's, uh, there must be something because like, why wouldn't they just release yeah. it? And by the way, for people, you know, you, you and I having this conversation about who did the assassination, why they did it, a lot of that is, uh, the stuff that I've told you, and I've tried to th stick to things that, you know, uh, that are documentable, and the names, that, et cetera. But for people who want a real, you know, kind of a panoramic view of what happened, I think the best book that's been written about this is Jim Douglas's book, which is called The Unspeakable, because he's done something um, that, you know, after the Warren Commission, that became the orthodoxy. And the New York Times and all the major news uh, organizations uh, have enforced that orthodoxy. And anybody who challenged that orthodoxy becomes a conspiracy theorist. And in fact, in 1967, the CIA sent a letter out to an, uh, a telecom out to all of its Operation Mockingbird people, which are all the the assets it had in the American press, more than 400 people, editors, senior editors, senior writers in the American press saying, from now on, anybody who questions the single gunman theory of the of the Kennedy assassination be, should be characterized as a conspiracy theorist. And they didn't coin the word conspiracy theory, but they popularized it with that memo. They sent a memo out to all their stations saying that talk should be discouraged. So um, uh, those, uh, you know, but what happened after that is then in 1979, the House Assassinations Committee met for a year and a half, and they looked at much more evidence than the Warren Commission did, including, you know, Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles had run the Warren Commission. He was the head of the CIA when my uncle fired. When my uncle died, he said, uh, I'm glad the little shit is dead. He thought he was a god. That's what he said to a young reporter. And then he becomes head of the commission that is, you know, it, it shouldn't have been called the Warren Commission. It should be called the Dulles because Earl Warren was had a full-time job at the Supreme Court. The only, and the, all the other guys on the Warren Commission had full-time jobs as senator and congressman. The only guy who went to every meeting and, you know, looked at every piece of evidence and developed the questions for the witnesses was Alan Dulles. He was running the entire Warren Commission. And he should have been the prime suspect in the in the crime. And he was communicating secretly with the people at the CIA, with David Atlee Phillips, with George Johannides, who was the CIA uh, liaison, telling them what you know what questions were going to be asked and what they should reveal, and which Ed Hoover at the same time. So the whole thing was a coordinated kind of uh, kabuki theater. But then Congress goes back and investigates it in '79. And Congress then comes back after a year and a half seeing a lot more stuff and says, uh, and they conclude this was a conspiracy. Yes. So they make that official, you know, so anybody who says it was just Lee Harvey Oswald is di is differing from the people who actually made the investigation. So, so given and that. Most of the people on that staff who I've talked to, 
believed that it was the CIA. And as you know, at that time, the dispute between them was between was it the mob and the CIA because there was a lot of mob involvement. You know, Johnny Rizzelli, um, Sam Giancana, uh, who was the Chicago boss, Santos Traficante, who was the Tampa boss, and Carlos Marcello, who was the New Orleans boss, were all involved. And they all had casinos in Havana, and they were working with the CIA to assassinate Castro. So they had hitmen at their disposal, and they were training Cubans who were sharpshooters for Batista as hitmen. And I've talked to some of the hitmen. I've talked to Antonio Vecchiano who was involved and who was also David Adley Phillips' um, uh, handler. David Adley Phillips was his handler, and he was Lee Harvey Oswald's handler. So Veggiano met Oswald in Dallas in, uh, I think, in September of, of, um, of 1963. Oh, I've talked to, you know, the people who were actually working for the CIA and the mob at that time, you know, to kill Castro and how they were then pivoted uh, to this, you know, some of them were pivoted to this new project. If you became president, if you become president, what do you do about those 4 million federal employees, about the agencies which are running effectively as autonomous governments within our government? Like how yeah. do you, the last president, when was the last president who controlled the agencies? And how would you do it? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm probably, and I don't want to seem like, you know, I'm being vain, but I feel that because of the, the confluence of my experiences over the past four years that I'm actually probably the only one that can unravel that agency capture. And, and let me tell you this, my daughter-in-law, who is co-running my campaign with Dennis Kucinich, Amaryllis Fox, um, was a CIA agent in the clandestine service for most of her career. And uh, what she'll tell you, and you know, she has a very sanguine view of the CIA, and the same as mine. Um, and also understands all this evidence that the agency, you know, was involved in the um, in the murder of my uncle and and the cover up, continues to be involved in the cover up. But what Amaryllis will tell you is that of the twenty four thousand people who work for the agency, that twenty thousand of them are patriotic Americans and good public servants, and that there's there's some people mainly in the in a plant division. The espionage division, the CIA, is you know is made up of extraordinary people, principally who are um, who are doing an important job of protecting our country. The espionage division is the division that does um, that does uh, information gathering and analysis, and the president needs that. The plans division is the action division. They are the ones that assassinate people, fix elections, uh, you know, overthrow governments, and do all the. Um, the things that I think we're paying for in our foreign policy today and in our domestic policy. My father was going to separate those two divisions. My uncle ultimately was going to do that too. My uncle thought the CIA, you know, he came out of his office during the Bay of Pigs and he said, I want to take the CIA, shatter it into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. He then asked my father to run the agency. He said, either you're the only one I trust to do this. And my father said it, and my grandfather said, you can't do that. You can't, it, it would be like Molotov and Stalin. You can't have the, the brother of the president running a secret spy agency with all this extraordinarily hidden power. So they brought in John McCone to run it, but John McCone, you know, was not able to handle it. 
And um, and my father, a week before he died, taught, told one of his closest friends, Pete Hamill, who you may have known, but he was- Pete Hamill, the journalist? Yeah, the journalist. Yeah, for sure. Um, he told Pete Hamill, Pete Hamill said, what are you gonna do about the CIA? And my father said, I'm gonna separate the plans division from uh, espionage, and that's the only way to make it work. And that still makes a lot of sense today. Incidentally, I had dinner with Mike Pompeo, I don't know, three weeks ago. And he said something really interesting to me. Which Wait, is, you had dinner with Mike Pompeo? Yeah, in Las Vegas. And he said something. <laughs> what was that? I, 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 it was it was it was the weirdest dinner I've ever been to. If I told you the other people were at that dinner, well, because I just can't imagine. Too, I know Mike Pompeo. I'm not attacking Mike Pompeo, but I can't imagine two you know, people I've always, with more different views. No, no, I've always, um, you know, my, my I have a kind of natal hostility toward Mike Pompeo, but I never knew him. And, but, you know, just because he was for people who don't you know, know, he was the CIA director and, and he was Secretary of State under Trump. And, um, but he's a, he's an interesting guy. He's smart. Very smart. Uh, he's Harvard, I think he went to Harvard Law School and he did. Harvard undergrad. And, and I think he had a military career. Army officer, yep. Uh, and he, um, you know, he's, he's by all, on paper, he's kind of a great American by all, you know, all, you know, his CV is extraordinary. Oh, um, and you never know, you know, you make judgments about people before you meet them. And my judgment about him, I still don't know what to think of him, but I, but this, what he but said. So wound up at dinner, I'm sorry, yeah, Bobby Kennedy, and Mike Pompeo in Vegas at dinner. If I'd stumbled across that, I would have stopped. It wasn't just the two of us, it was me. The rest of the group makes the story even weirder, so I'm not. I'm, I'm not even gonna, I, I don't know if I'll even go there, but, uh, <laughs> but he said to me before dinner, you know, I was, I had a moment with him um, and he said to me, when, he said, you know, when I was at the CIA, I did not do what I should have done to fix that agency. And he said, um, you know, I, uh, and he, he was expressing regret and he said, and then he turned to me and like looked me dead in the eye and he said, the entire upper echelon of that agency is made up of individuals who do not believe in the democratic institutions of the United States of America. That's a quote. And, uh, but so it was Mike Pompeo who uh, convinced Trump not to release the yeah, so file. I, and it was my, a guy who worked for Mike Pompeo texted me the day after I revealed that those files showed CIA complicity in your uncle's death, which they do, because I talked to someone who read them, and I said that on Fox News, and I got a text from a guy who works for Mike Pompeo informing me that I had just broken federal law, and that anyone who had told me that was a felon, uh, because we had revealed classified information. And I said, wait a second, that classified information suggests the US government was involved in the murder of an American president. Yeah, that, that's Mike Pompeo's position on that. Yeah. So it's a little bit weird for him to say, I think. Well, there's a billion documents classified. Yeah, I know. Top secret, so, you know, they can call it, they can stamp that stamp on anything they want to. That's, that's a lawyer's incredible. trick, you know. To, to put. And he was also behind keeping, uh, convincing Trump not to pardon Assange. Yeah, well, you know, that confirms my earlier assessment of, uh, of Mike Pompeo. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting you like him. No, it says a lot. Okay, so you have, um, there's a documentary called Midnight at the Border uh, about your visit to the border, uh, California 
uh, Arizona border with Mexico. And I just want to play a clip from it for our. Now, this next part, I want you to pay attention on who's really crossing the border. At one point in the interview, RFK says only two people that he had met at the border were from South America. The rest were from the Middle East and the majority were from China. Listen up. Uh, for people who haven't seen it. We did two weeks uh, for travel from Senegal to Nicaragua. After Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and here. I'm going to New York to join my uncle. My dream is to live the, the dream American, to live in America, to work and to help my family. We coordinate with the airport in Phoenix, and then out they go to the final destination the same day. Yeah, I hope to begin a new life. Yeah, my bro brother lives here. Uh, he's a citizen. Hey, good luck. Goodbye. Most people bring the money or have a sponsor that buys their ticket. What happens if, if uh, family doesn't have the money to buy the plane ticket? Uh, well, FEMA reimburses us. We can we can buy that ticket and and. Uh, well, you the, buy the ticket for yeah. You. What did you learn from that? Well, you know what I saw was so extraordinary that it took me three days to even understand what I was looking at. Um, because you know, the first night I, I land, I go to Yuma and I get to the wall at, um, at 2 a.m. And I watch the first group, there's a gap in the wall there and there, and I watch the first group come across, which was about 100, uh, 110 um, men from West Africa, mainly from Ghana, they're all, you know, sort of military age men from Ghana. And by calling them military age men, I'm not making implicate any implications about what they're here for. I'm just saying, it's just a way of describing them. They were people, you know, between 18 and 25 from Ghana. So I expected to see a lot of Central Americans coming up, you know, and then, um, and that was not what I saw. And then the next group was, uh, again, about the same number, there were two busloads of uh, people, and I interviewed every one of them. I talked to each one, I, and I want to say this, what we're seeing there, a lot of people come from the, to this issue of, you know, I, I think we need to close that wall. We need to close the border right now, and I'm going to explain to you why. But a lot of people come to this issue from sort of a nationalistic or a, even a racist or, um, or uh, you know, xenophobic and I'm not coming from that place. I'm coming from a place of compassion and a place of, um, you know, just concern for our country. And, uh, and you know, this is, a, this, this is a heartbreaking humanitarian crisis and everything that happens to these migrants along the way is terrible. 
Oh, the next group that came in, and what was happening to our country is a catastrophe. And by the way, I was a person who ridiculed Trump's wall. Okay, so, and now I've been down there and I've talked to everybody down there. And, um, you know, I have a different position. I don't think you need to build a 2200 mile physical barrier from, you know, San Diego to Bat Brownsville, Texas, but we definitely need physical barriers in the densely populated area, we definitely, because this, we cannot survive with what's happening there now. The next group that came over were um, again about 110 people. There are two busloads. The cartels dropped them on right on the other side of the wall in these buses, and there's 55 people per bus. Oh, um, the next group, there were people from Azerbaijan, from Kazakhstan, from Uzbekistan, from Afghanistan, from Pakistan, uh, from Tibet, Nepal, uh, and many from India, and the most came from China. Um, there were only two families we met the entire night who were from um, who were from uh, Latin America, none from Central America, interesting. One from Colombia, one from Peru, and they were the only ones who had legitimate claims, they, you know, of asylum claims. Everybody else we talked to said, I'm here to have a better life. Well, that is not, if you want, if that's why you come to America, then you have to go through the front door. You, you know, go to the embassy. Yeah, you go, you go to the embassy. So they don't even have a legitimate, any legitimate claim to be in the United States. Nevertheless, the the border patrol and the border patrol is so uh, disillusioned and discouraged. There's nine of the border patrolmen we were told had committed suicide in the last year because of what they're being forced to do. They are not protecting the border. They what they do is they fingerprint, they can only hold the, the migrants for 72 hours. They fingerprint them and they see if they're, if they have a criminal record. If they have a criminal record, they're put in a different process. But otherwise, they're then asked where they want to go. And if they don't have a plane ticket, they are brought to the airport. The DHS purchased them a ticket and sends them anywhere they want to go in the United so States. So the country's getting poorer every year. Our country's getting poorer every yeah. year. We're in a poor place right now. Well, how, who came up with, I mean, why do we owe plane tickets to people who come here illegally? It, 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 it's, it ha as far as I can tell, and there's a lot of evidence for this, and it's in our film, is that the Biden administration came in, you know, in the same position I was, which, which is, and it, which is the wall is bad, but more, more importantly, anything Donald, any idea that Donald Trump had is a bad idea. So they just opened the border and they've had this open border policy where um, they, they have not hired the judges. That's the most important thing that needs to be done. The judges need to be hired so that these cases, the, the asylum case, uh, cases can be adjudicated right at the border and people who are not entitled to asylum are sent back. Um, but that's not what's happening. What happens is they're all given claims and they're told to appear in court and they go to an arraignment fairly soon after arriving in Boston or New York or Miami or wherever, Minneapolis, wherever they're going. And then they're given a court date, which on average is seven years out. So they're, uh, there's, so then they're, they're in- the I hope next time I get arrested, I get the same courtesy. Yeah. Oh, so they're in um, our country then for seven years, but 
And let me just tell you from their point of view what's happened. First of all, the cartels are now controlling our immigration policy in the United States. All of these people who came across, came across knowing exactly what was going to happen to them because they had seen it on advertisements the cartels are sending around the world on TikTok and on YouTube. It tells you what you need to do to get in, where you, what airports you fly into, what visas you get, how to get them, and how to get to the cartel parking lots where the buses will take you. Some of them fly into Nicaragua. Most of them fly to directly to Mexico City and from anywhere in the world. These are not, you know, Central American, Latin American. They're coming from everywhere. They come to, they fly to Mexico City. The cartels assist them getting a Mexican visa. And then they are put on a domestic flight to Mexicali. And in Mexicali, there's a big parking lot with, uh, with buses operated by the cartels. The cartels charge them between $10,000 and $15,000 a piece to get through. And then they drive them up to the wall and they unload them. We watch them unloading them on the other side. They, um, large numbers of them get um, get abused, they get extorted, uh, they get exploited, they get robbed, raped, beaten. Uh, the Peruvian family that I met had every uh, penny taken from them. He said, my whole life savings was taken from me. There's a tree that we could see from where we were in the day when it was daylight. It's called the rape tree where the cartels extract final payment from women who are crossing the border. Um, if there are attractive women that they, in their view, and I, I don't mean physically attractive, but attractive uh, for whatever their purpose is, to sell or to, you know, uh, to traffic or whatever, or children. Um, those children are separated out. We, uh, uh, the Colombian family had lost a child girl and a teenage girl and you know the father was desperate and they they she had been separated from them by the cartels before they passed oh my gosh. and eighty-five thousand children have disappeared in this process it, it, it's it's monstrous so all happening. the so then, can... but then let me tell you this they get into our country and there's a lot of people who are well-meaning mainly liberal people who care who you know see themselves as deeply caring people who say we should have sanctuary cities and we should you know these people should be treated with dignity but what really happens to them in real life is that they get here and then they for for seven years none of them are legal so they are now subject to terrible exploitation by uh, unscrupulous employers all over this country they're getting paid $6 or $5 an hour because they have no leverage in their employer, of course. And that dampens the wages well, for every other American. That's exactly right. It steals and, the leverage from American workers, too. And, and there's 16 million of them here now. And uh, they're crushing the social safety system, social safety nets in cities like New York has 95,000 of them have landed in New York. New York is now thinking of turning Roosevelt Island into an open air refugee camp. And there's a proposal that was on Bloomberg of turning Central Park or parts of it into open air camps for uh, for migrants. Oh, and that, you know, Eric Adams, who's the mayor, has been saying this has got to end. We, you know, we have to close the border. And a lot of these mayors who were people who were saying we, you know, we're sanctuary cities and getting that, you know, uh, uh, you know, 
aligning themselves with that are now seeing what the, it really means. And it, it does not mean human, treating people humanely. It is the worst possible thing we can do. Meanwhile, seven million have come across in three years, seven million illegally. In that same time, there's only been 3.1 million, million legal immigrants. So these are the people who waited in line. For every one of them, there are more than two illegal ones coming across and taking those places. And that, you know, a lot of the, uh, anyway, they, you know, it's not a, it's not something that's sustainable. It's something that needs to end right away. And that, that if it, the, the cartels which are making billions, the cartel, the Mexican drug cartels, are literally running U.S. immigration policy this time, not the president of the United Just States. And, cor and corrupting the Southwest United States. Last question, will you succeed in getting a debate with Biden, do you think? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's not very democratic to not do the debate. Um, I hope that he will debate me. And I, I can tell you this, and I, I also hope that he'll come out and campaign because I'm seeing a vision of America in that, you know, both Trump and Biden are, are boasting about the, uh, about the economic prosperity that they've brought to our country. They're, it's unusual if two former presidents running against each other. Both of them are, are proclaiming their, their, um, their economic record, but I'm seeing uh, things in this country that I never believed that I would see in the United States. People living with, in a level of desperation that I, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I've talked about, I have a friend called Keith Amato, who is, and you know, I represented commercial fishermen for almost all my career as an environmental lawyer. And he's one of my closest friends. And he, um, he's been, he ran, he worked hard his whole life fishing out of Wellfleet and P-Town and, uh, and Chatham. And, but, and his, his son-in-law now owns a fishing business, but he has no pension and he has no, and he's on full disability. He had a lot of injuries, a lot of damage during his life. Oh, so he was collecting food stamps, $283 he was getting a month and it's critical to his survival. Even then he was saying, he was telling me, you know, I have to switch recipes to make, to be able to get through the, through the checkout line. You know, I have to buy cheaper recipes and get fillers, et cetera. And in the last two years, the price of food, because to fund these wars that we're, you know, we're funding, they print money and that means inflation and that's a tax on the poor. Oh, the price of food has gone up by 38%. The price of, of basic food stuff, um, chicken, eggs, and milk have gone up 78%. So his food stamps were 78% you know, less valuable. On March 1st of this year, he got a phone call from the, a government phone call, robocall. The recorded voice told him that he was getting his food stamps cut to $23 a month, so 90%. 30 million Americans got that phone call. And, um, you know, that's the same month we ratcheted, ratcheted up our contributions to the Ukraine at, at to Ukraine at 30, at 113 billion. And we print, the Fed printed 300 billion unanticipated dollars to pay for the failure of the Silicon Valley Bank. There's lots of money for, for and, we, and we, we began cutting 
15 million people from the welfare rolls. Since then, 4 million have been cut. This is on Politico this morning, from, from the Medicare rolls. So there's no money for poor Americans. And the people that I see are living because of the inflation and because of what's happening at this with this desperation. The average wage in this country is now $5,000 left, less than the cost of, um, of basic goods, of food, transportation, and housing. So half of Americans are making up that gap by putting it on their credit card bills. And this week we passed $1.1 trillion in credit card debt. That's the first time in history. Most of that, or $330 billion of that, has been in the Biden-Trump administration. Two men who are saying, I, you know, I, I'm helping America. There's a trillion dollar in credit card debt. And those people are paying 22% interest. If the mafia did that, it would be called loan sharking. Not dischargeable in bankruptcy, by the way. Right. And it can't be discharged. So you're, I'm meeting people who are, you know, couples who are sitting at their dining room tables and trying to figure out how, how this math works for them because they can't. They're, they're having to make choices. People in this country are choosing between food and gasoline and, and food and medicine. And they're, they're listening to a, a little baby crying in the room next door, young couples and having have to wonder whether that baby is $50 sick or $100 sick or $500 or $1,500 sick before they bring them to a hospital. And, you know, my wife and I were talking about the other night, and we were talking about this epidemic of depression and mental illness and anxiety that is afflicting Americans, you know, the deterioration, the sense that the wheels are falling off. And she said, you know, that's the way I felt when she was living in poverty. She said, that's the way I felt when the engine light came on my car, because I knew there was no money to pay it. And you have all these Americans now who are living hand to mouth and uh, and they do not feel that anybody is listening to them in the political process. They feel they've been completely abandoned by the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and that those parties are now serving elites and um, and that, uh, you know, their voices aren't being heard. And particularly now, you know, the Democratic Party has had this very interesting shift where when I grew up, um, my when my uncle was president, my father was in the Democratic Party was where the people who were poor and working people were. And today, seventy percent of the wealth in this country is owned by the Democratic Party, and only thirty percent the Republican Party. The top ten counties, the top richest counties in this country, nine of the ten are Democratic counties. Oh, there is this kind of shift in in uh, in wealth that maybe is one of the reasons that uh, Democrats do not seem to be talking to or for working people anymore. But I'm, you know, the people that I talk to, both through my job of representing them, you know, um, in you know, I'm representing a thousand families in Columbiana County, Ohio, Eastern Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, Western West Virginia whose lives were upended by the Norfolk Southern spill. And, uh, you know, they are just living in a le level of desperation that I never thought I'd see in the United States. And, uh, you know, my father used to bring us to um, to Southeast Washington, he'd load us in, uh, in, a, in a station wagon and bring us to Southeast Washington to, to meet people who were, who were poor. Or he'd take us to the Mississippi Delta or West Virginia 
onto Appalachia or the Indian reservations. And he always said to us, these, these are your people. Um, he said the, the, uh, the people are wealthy and the people who have, um, you know, who are the big corporate leaders and titans, they don't need the Kennedys. They have, um, they have lawyers and they have PR firms and they have lobbyists. And he said, these are your people. And he came back from, from uh, the Mississippi Delta one night and he said, to, uh, we were all eating, there were like nine of our kids in the dining room at that time. And he said, um, I was in a uh, tar paper shack today. There were two families there and they eat one meal a day and the kids go to bed hungry. And he said, when you grow older, I want you to do something about those people. And um, you know, that's one of the reasons that I'm running. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., thank you very much for that. Thank, thank you. Appreciate it. Now, like, like RFK or not, the guy is genuine, you know? I don't get the sense that he, he has an agenda other than helping people. Now, where I disagree with him and where he doesn't grasp it is he thinks that there is a system that humans can create that will solve all of the issues. He thinks that there has to be a man-made organization that will handle the needs of the people. I think his heart is in the right place. The problem is, is his head's up his ass. And I don't, I shouldn't say it like that. It's that he doesn't realize, like the founding fathers realize, in the man-made or any system operated by humans will be corrupted by humans. That's why the only system that works is pure freedom. Pure freedom is not perfect, but pure freedom naturally balances out. It's, it's 
everyone in every interaction has risk and reward. All right? That's why it said that a well-armed society is a polite society. Because you don't know what is going to trigger someone else to pull the trigger. So you walk around being very polite, very honorable, very, not, not because you just want to be nice and honorable, which you may want to be. It's out of necessity. See, in the old days, they would have a duel. If you had a problem with another man, you went outside and you took care of it. Well, now we have this, this idea that violence is bad. No, violence at the individual level is it relieves the, the tension at the source of the conflict. See, you never really put off violence. Violence either happens at the point of conflict or it moves up the chain of society. That's what happens. Violence doesn't go away. It just gets a larger group violent. Right? This is the issue we're having. Is if you let little boys slug it out, they're done. They're done. They walk away, and they're either friends or they're not. But odds are they're not going to fight again if it was pretty even. Because you don't want to risk getting your ass whooped. See, women might not understand this. Men, there are some of us who are okay with violence. There are some of us who are not. The ones who are not are the weak men. Now, when I say weak, I don't mean that us stronger guys go around slapping the shit out of them. No. 
a stronger man usually protect the weaker guys. When I was younger, my best friend in the world was the biggest pussy in the world. When I originally met him, he was getting his ass whooped over a bike. And I went over and I shoved all of the guys off of him. And I'm like, hey, leave the fucking kid alone, you assholes. Because one of the guys that were beating up on him, I had already had a fucking fight with a few weeks prior. And he knew I'd beat his ass again. So I went over, helped John, who eventually became my closest friend when I was younger. But no one ever fucked with John because they knew fucking with John meant fucking with me. Now, I wasn't the baddest motherfucker in the neighborhood, but I knew the baddest motherfucker in the neighborhood. And him and I were friends. We hung out. Hell, I went out with his sister, which did wind up in a fight that I lost. But, c'est la vie. <laughs> you know, lesson learned. Don't mess around with the sister of a friend that can whoop your ass. Lesson learned. All right. But that's the point. I learned a lesson. That's how you grow. That's how you, that's how society advances. And that's why most of the towns across America were very peaceful in the 50s and 60s because they had a whole generation who grew up in that one town. So they all knew each other. So this, this group of adults who ran the towns knew each other when they were younger. So they had already realized who were the badasses, who were the pussies, who got all the girls, and who were leaders and who were followers. So as they got older, the people in the town had a very peaceful town. Because they had worked out all of the social shit when they were younger. Well, their children, us, my generation, we were growing up at that same time. But the social engineering of the progressives and women's liberation bullshit. And and my mom and dad, you know, separated. 
So I live with my mom out in the middle of nowhere, fucking Illinois. Don't know where the hell my dad was. So we moved around a lot. So I never really grew up anywhere specific. So I never got those uh, relationships. Well, once I got to St. Louis with my third father, or stepfather, who I call my dad, uh, then I had roots, and I started growing roots. And that's that's how I evolved into who I am. Because every place I went, every place we moved, I had a whole new group of assholes I had to deal with because of how I was. I had a horrible fucking speech impediment. I couldn't talk. Hardly worth a shit, and I mean that literally. A sentence would take me three minutes just to say it. So, and kids are mean. It's just how it is. So I learned either I accepted it or I kicked the shit out of people. Well, I found out very quickly that if you kick the shit out of somebody, everyone else will basically leave you alone from then on out. So every time we moved, the first person who gave me shit is the first person who I kicked the shit out of. That's just how it was. All right, now, now that that's wrapped up, the, now we go woo-woo, all right? Oh, yeah. All right. This is some woo-woo shit, folks. You're about to learn about direct energy weapons. You want to know what's going on in in uh, in Hawaii? Raytheon. Here we go. How do you know, I mean, how do you, what I, well, I guess what I'm asking is how did it even come to your attention that this triggered an earthquake? If you're at the South Pole and New Zealand had an earthquake, I mean, how did you know it came from the South Pole? This is at the South Pole station. Interesting. Making weapons and targeting systems for the military. It's totally fresh to me right now and uh, definitely fresh to the audience. But just a little intro on you. So you were a contractor for Raytheon which Raytheon, how would you describe Raytheon? Uh, I would say that Raytheon is a military industrial contractor that normally is making weapons and targeting systems for the military. And oddly enough, had a contract to provide Jano services at the South Pole Station. Interesting. 
From 2010 to 2011, you were a tradesman and firefighter in the South Pole. Antarctica is a contractor for Raytheon. You spent 366 continuous days at the South Pole. You were experimented on as a child and trained to be a remote viewer. Correct. Through a program called Stargate Project. Um, submarine service in the Navy. Plumber for the wealthy elite on Long Island prior to Raytheon and experience with UFOs. Yes. Um, you're a whistleblower for the benefit of humanity. Why are you blowing the whistle now? I am blowing the whistle because I'm obliged to. I don't know anybody that's walked a similar path to me in life. So it's necessary information that gets out there. I wish that I could be relieved of the task, but until I can find someone that can properly handle this information, I have to be on point for it. Roger that. Well, just like everybody else, we always start off with a gift. Thank you, sir. If you don't guess this, ah, what's in there? Pull them out. You got it. We have genuine vigilance elite gummies. Nice. Legal in all 50 states. They are. They're illegal in all 50 states, believe it or not. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I think they're still legal in all 50 states. I don't know. You know. <laughs> Laws change very fast nowadays. The tyranny might uh, start coming after candy next. Who knows? Yeah. But today, uh, we're here to talk about <clears throat> Raytheon Technologies Corporation. Raytheon is an aerospace company that provides advanced systems and services for commercial, military, and government customers worldwide. Probed for corruption in government contracting since 1980s. You were in the South Pole from 2010 to 2011. Let's talk about what you were doing down there. You got it. What were you doing down there? I was contracted for the summer season as a plumber. I did well enough in my summer season to garner a winter contract as well, which got me my full year's stay. I was also tasked with being a firefighter. I was a lead on the firefighting team. And because of that dual role capacity, I physically held a key that opened every single door in the facility. I had complete access to every compartment they manufactured. That was a, a rare position to be in. What is, what are you blowing the whistle on? That there are technologies at the South Pole Station that people can't even consider that exist on this planet. Like what? Directed energy weapon systems is something that people need to get into their vocabulary fast. The ice cube neutrino detector is not simply a passive listening device as presented for the science that they're claiming it to do. It also has the capacity to transmit there are um, embedded in the ice what are called digital optical modules, DOMs. They're about the size of a basketball. The array embedded in the ice is one kilometer by one kilometer by one kilometer. It is the world's largest telescope. And now because we have proven that it can transmit, it's the world's largest directed energy weapons system. It is responsible for the earthquakes in Christchurch, New Zealand in 2011 on the front end of the year. How do you know for a fact that that was responsible for that? Because I was present and I have gone over this with the pertinent people, but I will not be releasing their names. Okay. But I was on the team, let's just say, and I've confirmed this. 
Well, I've provided documentation from the actual manufacturer specs. So this unit was um, constructed, operated, and maintained by the University of Wisconsin. And just like every other device on the planet, whether you're driving an M1 Abrams tank or operating the ice cube neutrino detector, there's um, operator's manuals that tell you how things work. Right there in that information, free for everybody to find. I found it myself. Um, I was directed to find it, I'll put it that way, and release this information. And it states very clearly that each one of these DOMs can transmit at 2,047 volts each. So these are currently the facts of life. How do you know, I mean, how do you, what I, well, I guess what I'm asking is how did it even come to your attention that this triggered an earthquake? If you're at the South Pole and New Zealand had an earthquake, I mean, how did you know it came from the South Pole? Without divulging names, without divulging names. I could only say that it was communicated to me from team members that were present and fully read in at the time that they were aware. And since that time, um, at the immediate, like the same day. Oh, absolutely. It was understood. Well, what was said that we accidentally hit Christchurch, New Zealand twice when they were trying to fire up this weapon for the first time that it was, it was friendly fire, it was not on purpose, but it occurred that the system is designed for that. And it was just friendly fire. So this, is a, so this is a telescope, that sounds like a, is it a telescope? Absolutely, is it? It, is, it is a neutrino detector, for sure. It can accomplish its primary purpose. It can also transmit and then provide a, a multifaceted platform for directed energy weapons systems. Do you have any idea how the earthquake was initiated? From misfiring the system. Where did, I mean... Where were they targeting? Yes. I don't know. Does it go into the earth? Does uh, it go into the atmosphere? It can definitely go through the earth. I would consider that it might be able to do stuff in the atmosphere. I haven't heard that statement laid at its feet, um, but I wouldn't put it past it. I don't want to try to limit the functions of this device by my imagination or experience. I believe that's one of the problems with directed energy weapons is they are not like standard weapons of old where you have a gun and a particular caliber bullet, you pull the trigger and it does one thing. These platforms are way more complex than that. They do a lot of things. What else do they do? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this system, additionally, in regards to the neutrinos, it detects the neutrinos that are apparently coming off of the new exotic propulsion systems for either off-world UFOs or reverse engineered stuff on our planet. What is neutrino? Uh, neutrino is a near massless particle that goes at, close, or beyond the speed of light. It is so small that it can pass between the electron shell and the nucleus of pretty much every atom on the planet in the capacity of being detected at the South Pole Station when the neutrino impacts the nucleus of the water molecule of the ice in the glaciers at the pole, a reaction occurs. The nucleus and the neutrino become destroyed. A muon is created and ejected and a blue flash of light known as Cherenkov radiation flashes in the ice. And that's what the DOMs, the digital optical modules are detecting. That's their primary purpose as presented. Now, whether that neutrino comes from a quasar out in space or a uh, exotic propelled engine off of vehicles that aren't being discussed contemporarily, it detects it. 
thus making it basically an air traffic control center for all non-discussed vehicles on this planet. So just like we have all the other air traffic on the planet and it's being completely observed and attended to, there's just another level of craft on this planet and another level of air traffic control tower that exists. This is that facility. Back to back to tracking neutrinos. Hmm. What is what is that? Why are they tracking those? Oh, for the purposes of science, they're claiming that there's uh, a lot to be ascertained by understanding the difference between um, low power and high power neutrino ejections from cosmic occurrences. It's about that vague. This is what they spend our tax dollars on. Let's talk about the... Now, let me elaborate on the neutrinos. What he just said, he said, that's what they told him. Well, they were telling him the truth, but he didn't understand what they were telling him. See, neutrinos are, like he said, nearly... They, they nearly have no mass. Nearly. Those are the waves that those are in the waves that create the mass. That's what creates the carbon. Remember we remember how he says it interacts with the ice and that's how these little balls realize they're there. Well, these neutrinos, they go all the way through the earth, right? The only thing that affects a neutrino is frequency harmony. That's it. Nothing else will affect a neutrino except harmonics. So that's when, when the harmonics, or as we know it, the uh, the electromagnet, the uh, how you have the Earth, then there's the magnetic at uh, the north and the south of the magnetic that meet in the middle of the Earth, right? That point at the middle of the earth, that's where they harmonize. And that's where the neutrinos hit each other in harmony. Bing! That harmonics 
that hit, that's what creates the mass. That's what creates the little bitty tiny fucking piece of of ash that we call uh, uh, carbon, right? The uh, oh damn it! What's the machine they have out there running around that they say? Well, we're just trying to hit Newt uh, Adams with ad horseshit. They're trying to figure out how to how to create mass. Now, what they're trying to do is override the frequency that the earth receives from the universe. Remember, they're trying to kill the planet. So what they're trying to do is artificially give the earth the message that it shouldn't grow. That's why the machine he's talking about in Antarctica causes earthquakes. Because earthquakes are an after effect of the earth growing. As the earth grows, the earth moves. That's earthquake. Now, the, the neutrinos, the reason that those little balls, why they aren't just receivers, that, that they're also senders, is they're trying to um, reprogram and override the frequency that the earth receives from the universe. Because remember, this is all natural balance. As there are less and less, I, I'm, I, I didn't know if we were here yet, but I might as well say it anyway. There's a reason why more women are having multiple births, right? As they are trying to kill us off, the natural frequency, the natural balance of nature as less and less humans exist the frequency will alter the menstruation 
of women and make them release more eggs. So they'll have twins. They'll have triplets. They'll have more children per birth than normal. This all naturally balances out. Now, this is where it gets a little touchy, folks. The earth makes different types of humans. And nature creates different types of humans as they're needed. Right? During World War One and World War Two, most of the people that were being killed at the time were Caucasian Europeans. That's why a lot of white women in the next generation had multiple births. It's why more what? It's very rare to see black twins. If you see black twins, it's because their mother was a Caucasian woman. And it's very, very, very rare to ever see Asian twins. Right? There's each each race is put here for a certain reason. They have a certain uh, certain skill, right? They have certain traits. When, when natural balance sees that certain races are needed more or are are dropping they'll have more children natural balance right that's why and if you don't believe me think of this that's why women who live in the same house they'll sync up because of the frequency, right? Their frequencies will harmonize 
with each other. And that's why women will sync up on their periods. See, women were meant to hang around other women in the past. They, believe it or not, women in the old days loved hanging out with other women because there wasn't this societal structure of competition now. Back then, women enjoyed being around other women because they would harmonize and their energies would be shared. Right. Women are are powerfully women are powerful frequency machines. And when women are isolated, it literally drives them crazy. Literally that you go to a woman's prison, that a solitary confinement is very rare in women's prison because they will literally go fucking insane by themselves because they're so frequency powerful emotions right they're so frequency powerful that they have to release the energy or they will go crazy. That's that's why in the early 1900s and even before then, most of the people that were in insane asylums were women. And as we've progressed, and this whole women's lib shit injected financial, social, and emotional competition amongst women. It has, that's what has destroyed, destroyed our society. The women were always the glue of the society. The men were the enforcers and hunters. The women were the glue of the society.
Well, you poison the glue and the society collapses. And that's that's why the Progressive Party went after women's groups and went after church groups and went after... Um, that's why the early progressive movement brought in all these women and then told the women that they had to go out and push. A prime example was uh, was when they outlawed out out. Oh, prohibition was actually pushed by women saying the only problem with society is that men drank. It, but so did women. Right? But they they sent these progressive women's groups out to break up alcohol because so many societal functions revolved around alcohol or had alcohol at these social groups. Right? Women used to have social parties all the time. Huh? Uh, I'm on the show. All right. Uh, uh, I'm. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, all right. I digress. I I just ranted. Let's but understand that as soon as we get rid of these elites that have been poisoning us, nature will kick back in and adjust itself over time. The women that we do have will be extremely fertile. The non-vaxxed women will be extremely fertile and will have multiple children, multiple. Because natural balance will harmonize with her frequency and she'll release more eggs and she'll have multiple children. Right? So have faith. Well, what else do they do? Uh, the device is also um, 
for faster than light communications, quantum entangled communications at great distance. In, I guess it was the late 80s or early 90s, Gary McKinnon hacked NASA. And he found that we, he found the list of the off-world space fleet and the captains of the ships respectively. We have a fleet out there. If we have a fleet out there, we need to communicate with them. This is that facility. Can you explain quantum entanglement communications? <laughs> yes, I don't think most people understand what I'm about to say anyway, <laughs> but I will. Um, the way quantum entanglement works is that you can take uh, you can take two particles, quantum entangle them, and then take those two particles and move them at any distance in the cosmos. And let's just say, for example, if you quantum entangle two electrons and you have them spinning in the same direction, and then you take one of those electrons and you shoot that thing out 100,000 light years from the original. If you then rotate the spin on the one electron, if you, if you modify it so that its spin changes, the quantum entangled electron at any distance will simultaneously in no time switch its rotation also because they're quantum entangled. So these communication systems are taking advantage of this aspect of quantum mechanics that most people can't wrap their heads around. And this is what they're utilizing. It's just the new level of science that affords us the ability to communicate at any distance instantaneously. I've heard about this. I've tried to dig into it and it's hard to understand. It is hard to understand. Um, it would be my, my best way to put it is that when electricity first came out, it was very hard for a lot of people to understand what Nikola Tesla was getting at. But we can, we still, everyone was using it before they even understood it. And this is just where we are right now. It's just a new technology. It's a new conversation. People don't have to understand it yet. They just have to realize it's real. What other kind of things can this? Oh boy. Um, voice to skull technology. This is also in the foray of directed energy weapons. What is that? Uh, the ability to, let's just say, throw your voice into your head or my voice into my head or allowing algorithms that now they can blanket a whole geographical area and they can make everybody change their thoughts. They can, I, I use the term intrusive thoughts. Um, back to that fork in the road analogy. If you find yourself where you have to make a decision about something, next thing you know, you catch yourself kind of having an argument in your head with your own voices. Well, the ability to um, add another one of your voices in there, but have it controlled by somebody else's microphone, so to say, is a very powerful tool. And I think this is a weapon of war that we are seeing happen to everyone around us. The Department of Defense recently started initiating protocols for their employees, their agents, to discuss Havana syndrome, Havana syndrome-like symptoms. And on that list is that their agents are hearing voices in their head. And this is what they're getting at. This is that technology that, you know, next thing you know, you're trying to make a decision, but there's another Sean in your head that now is actually somebody else's control. And through the manipulation of that voice, they can now push you just like we have, you know, the cell phones are weaponized now, the social media platforms, and they can engage with an algorithm and they know that they can push you in a direction by repetitive information being displayed in front of you, uh, similar to the tachistoscope in grammar school, that they can learn your system and they can learn to manipulate it on a personalized level. 
by just assessing you, what the things are that you're interested in, what are your weak points, what's the crack in the dam, what's the angle of attack. And it's through repetition and access. These are simply electromagnetic impulses in your head. It's not that they can't be read. It's not that they can't be copied. And it's not that they can't be just um, replayed with somebody else's um, control. I mean, I could get a, a voice changing thing and I could sound like you if I wanted to. I could call you on the phone. I could call your loved ones and I could pretend I'm Sean. And they can do that for you in your own head. If you're a business owner and you're hiring right now, you are also dealing with economic uncertainty. Now is the time more than any other time that you need to hire the right people faster and more efficiently than ever before to keep your costs down. Thankfully, there's a site like ZipRecruiter. From pricing to technology, everything that ZipRecruiter does is for you and what works best for you. And right now, you can try them for free. It's ZipRecruiter.com SRS. Here is how ZipRecruiter prioritizes your needs. Reach more qualified people. ZipRecruiter sends your job post to 100 plus jobs. The McDonald's Corporation just had a, uh, an ad come out a few months ago that they're looking into research and development in a technology that will afford them the ability to pump their commercials into your brain while you're sleeping. Do you think that they figured this out or some other company figured it out first? You think if they're going to have this available to them next year, you think that there weren't agencies that have been wielding this for a decade or so? You're a hundred. Is there any, where can I read about this? It's immediately available on the internet that McDonald's put this out there. McDonald's. McDonald's like, Corporation is looking into putting commercials into our brains while we're sleeping. And that's, we can look that up. Absolutely. I gotta look that up. Understood. I've heard of that. Understood. But now imagine when, if they can do that next year, oh, I'm who's, with you. who's been doing it for the last decade or so? I'm with you. I'm right? 100% with you. So yeah. now when we look around the world and we see everybody acting the way that they are acting, Let's consider that these intrusive thoughts have already been present. What do we do about this? This is the, these, these are the weapons of war contemporarily. It's very unfortunate, but it used to be that war was a bit more noble when we selected people, we put them in uniforms, we sent them over there to the battlefield and we said, fight for us. And effectively that would have been an, an act of attrition of each nation's resources until there was a victor. Now, unfortunately, they've circumnavigated the battlefield. Nobody's dressed in uniforms anymore. And the front line is every neighborhood that we're in. And the infrastructure is still under attack. It's just that now the average mortgage payer is in the line of fire. The list of Havana syndrome-like symptoms, which my South Pole crew or many South Pole crews are suffering, that other agencies are suffering, if people pay really close attention, they're going to notice that these symptoms are prevalent in the general population as well. Interesting. I, I interviewed a uh, former CIA um, agent about this uh, who has Havana syndrome and uh, has been speaking out on it um, quite a bit. His name's Mark Polypernopoulos. But um, what, I mean, is there anything else going on down there? <laughs> I mean, we just went through a lot of stuff here. Yes, actually. Uh, there's a system known as ELF, extra low frequency. Uh, it's also a massive antenna that's embedded in the ice there. When I arrived to the facility as a tradesman and firefighter, I was um, read into how everything worked. 
because I needed for the safety of my crew to be able to battle fires and, and engage things appropriately. And at the onset, I was told that the ELF system is off. It's defunct, it's disabled, it is just sitting dead in the ice. But through my uh, need to make an additional repair on something else and tracing back to a sub panel, I was finding the circuit that I needed to lock out, tag out, and do all the safe repairs. But then I noticed that this other breaker that was supposed to be off was in the on position and it was listed as the ELF. And I ran it up my chain. I said, what's going on here? I said, this is supposed to be off. I was told it's off now. And I was just given a hard, it's on. And that was the end of my need to know. They didn't want to tell me anything else. You, you have identified the circuit that you need to work on. You have been informed that you can safely do your job. Carry on. So I did my job. I made the repair that I needed to on the circuit next to the circuit that I was now informed is duly on and operating. So the ELF is up and running. And that, again, is a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform. Do you have pictures of any of this stuff? I have a lot of pictures of me in these facilities. Um, they mostly just prove my presence. Can, if you hand those over, I'll display them on screen right now. If I can get them. I can get you pictures before you present this to the world. I would appreciate that. Let's talk about the clear air system called Aero. Yes. Commonly referred to as the no. If you hand those over, I'll display them on screen, right? All right, guys. Now, if you look at this picture, down here would be the Eiffel Tower. All right. That's how big the Eiffel Tower is. All right. Let's look at this. The Ice Cube Lab is right here. All right. Ice Top, 81 stations, 324 optical sensors up here. This is a huge telescope and a huge radar and ultrasound receiver and sender. The ice cube array is 86 strings, including eight deep core strings. Eight are 5,160 optical sensors. Right. This thing is fucking huge. And what does it deal in? Look, 86 strings, eight strings, spacing optimized for lower energies. When, when it says lower energies, it means frequency, 
lower frequency. The higher frequencies and lower frequencies. That's yeah, it's it's because you yes, yes. All right. Now, let me show you something else. All right. Uh, you know what I'm saying? All right, let me. Let me see if I can find this graphic, right? It's somewhere. Now, right, these, uh, hang on a second. Uh, uh, how would I phrase this? Second. Right. I I can't really find an accurate graphic of this, but let me see if I can get something at least close. Ah, hell with it. All right. This is about as close as I can get. Hang on. You swing this over here. All right. Now, there's in the Great Pyramids. What people don't realize is there is a tube, a uh, 
there's a tube under each pyramid that goes directly straight down in through here, right? Here's a chamber here, another chamber here, another chamber here. But this chamber down here, this is not where they would keep anything, right? Anything at all, right? What what was down here, which remember is directly under the king's chamber, is you had a direct line right through here. The equivalent of this, you see what is called the deep core. Right. Imagine this, that the ice cube lab is the king's chamber and the deep core is the lower chamber. And what would happen would be um, all right, this is gonna set. This is gonna. This is gonna sound very simplistic, but it will make it easy to understand. Remember when we were younger, and you actually took a can with a string, and you put it on another on another can and you stretched out that string that you could actually talk along that string. Same theory, frequency. Now, if that string would have been copper, and your voice could have altered its frequency to a certain amount. You could communicate through that string. That's what a telephone line used to be. All right. Now, think of it as the earth is the copper line, except it's, right? Let me do it like this. All right, imagine you're at the ice cube lab and you pick up your can 
right? And this, this tube, the deep core is all copper, right? Now, let me show you something. Hang on. There we go. You see that? That is all copper. That is copper tubing. That's what release that's what puts out the frequency is the copper tubing releases the frequency, right? Into the middle of the earth. Right? And what it does is that that frequency it echoes throughout the earth right so the frequency is sent into the earth and then it echoes through the earth and it is picked up by a receiver somewhere else on earth. That's what the pyramids were. The pyramids were where the kings, the aliens, the kings, would communicate with each other all over the earth using copper and running a copper tube into the earth and then using their own frequency to communicate with someone else setting their own frequencies. Remember, bloodlines, mother and child can sense each other's frequencies. Mother's intuition. Understand? And understand the power of the frequency is strongest between mother and son. Because when a, when a mother gives birth 
to a girl. The harmonics are different or the frequencies are more different than when she gives birth to a son. Because the son has a stronger frequency than the daughter. So the kings would communicate with each other that were usually brothers or related to each other through a, a bloodline. Because it was easier for them to set their frequencies to communicate with each other. Are you starting to put it together? That's why they say, wow, the Egyptians, did you know they had batteries? No. What did they have? They had copper and acid. And that's the formula and mercury. All right. You have to understand that we all know all of this, but no one's ever explained it to you. As I'm saying all this, you're sitting there going, wait a second. That makes sense. If everything's frequency and 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 we can sense each other and we can communicate with each other and it's all frequency, all we would need would be some type of amplifier of energy, a battery, and we could communicate through the earth because a lot of the layers of the earth is copper. And if you send a frequency into the earth at a certain frequency, it's it. It all makes sense when you understand everything is frequencies. The Tower of Babel was the pyramids when the earth was smaller. 
they would communicate through the earth at all of the pyramids because all of the kings and the tribal leaders were related through the bloodlines. And when when God destroyed the Tower of Babel, what he what he did was make the earth grow using frequencies. And as the earth grew and expanded, it put pressure on the atmosphere, the outward pressure against the inward pressure of space caused the pressure to build and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Because that's what happens when it rains. It's a high pressure meeting a low pressure and as they pressurize they condense the clouds the clouds condense the moisture the moisture turns into rain that's what was happening when the earth was growing see we didn't get hit by a fucking asteroid and wipe all this shit out. That's a bunch of horse shit. The earth has gone through growth spurts. As the universe grows, the earth is growing too. That's what's making the universe grow. And what's ultimately making the universe grow is the consciousness of God. And we are all part of the consciousness of God growing and expanding the universe. It, it all makes sense when you're not indoctrinated with the bullshit. You, this has been clear as day for me for years because no one ever told me, taught me that it was different than that. 
I never listened to any teachers. I never got indoctrinated into it. But I got smart enough to understand the systems and understand the language where where I could interpret the systems. And then it was just obvious. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like, oh, all right, well, as below or as above, so below. As the universe, it's all natural balance, but it's actually based on the advancement of knowledge of the consciousness that sets the tone, the frequency of the consciousness that balances out the universe. I know it sounds crazy because someone told you something else that was, I guarantee all of you, what they taught you in school never made sense. All of you were like, well, this, that, what, why the fuck? What is all this horseshit? Because they never put it together. They never told you the big story. They told you little bitty stories. And then said, well, there's your education. And then you're off out into the world, out into the system. Go out and work. Okay. Not understanding the system, the the real system. They taught you the American progressive system at the level that you needed to know. See, this all exists on the need-to-know system. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the people, the elite thought, didn't need to know the shit I'm telling you. Because they figured, eh, they don't, it, they, they figured that you'd never understand it. You'd, if you knew what you were, 
you wouldn't work for them. You'd understand that you're not a worker. You're a fucking super being. Now, you're not God, but God gave you some great fucking gifts. You're magic. You've just always been told that you're a mouse, that you're not magic. You're just Joe Schmo, nobody. And that's what's destroying humanity. We're all magical beings, but yet we restrict ourselves into these little bitty existences. It's it's why so many people are addicted to drugs. It's, it's why so many people feel so bad about themselves. Because they know they're greater than this. They know inside, damn it. Why do I feel so small? when I know I'm bigger than this. And they get beat down into believing that they're nothing. Let's finish the video. is a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform. Do you have pictures of any of this stuff? I have a lot of pictures of me in these facilities. Um, they mostly just prove my presence. Can, if you hand those over, I'll display them on screen right now. If I can get them. I can get you pictures before you present this to the world. I would appreciate that. Let's talk about the clear air system called Aero. Yes. All right. There's a question. It's from Tire Doctor. <laughs> Great name. So, is there water that surrounds the earth? Sacrament? so many miles up yeah it's the air it's the humidity 
there's water in the air right in front of me. There's water right in the air in front of you. We call it humidity. If you collapse and pressurize that air, it condenses into liquid. So yeah, we're all swimming around in water right now. We just call it humidity. We, we view air as actually being empty. Like there's nothing else. I don't see nothing but blue skies. Well, the reason you see blue is the water in the air. Right? Right. The clouds are just centralized area of humidity. That's what a cloud is. A cloud is central, is a collection of higher pressurized humidity. That's what a cloud is. I hope that answers your question. Pete, if you think of the Earth, right, way up in the atmosphere, I mean, way, way up in the atmosphere, is very little pressure up there, very little oxygen. The closer you get to Earth, the higher pressure that you get, right? The at, at what we call the ocean, right? That's the exact point of pressure that the, the pressure is perfect for the, ex, the natural balance between uh, oxygen and water is right there at what we call sea level, right? That sea level is constant around the earth. It's the only thing that makes the sea level change in any real drastic way is the moon. That's the tide. The tide goes in, high tide. The tide goes out, low tide. That's as as the moon 
goes around the earth. There is a dragging effect of the ocean. Because the ocean is fluid, the moon's frequency affects the frequency of the water in the earth. So it drags the tide around the earth as the moon goes around the earth, right? And that's what we call high tide, low tide. Everything is pressure, frequency, and harmony. Everything. You pressurize frequency and you make a laser. You you harmonize frequency you make a magnet. It once again, you know all of this, but they never explained it to you. They didn't want you to know. Because you were born at the societal level that you didn't need to know the grand picture. All right. We're almost wrapped up with this. Commonly referred to as the no-fly zone. Yes. The ARO building, A-R-O, is the Atmospheric Research Observatory. It is listed on the chart, the one that I gave you as well, um, as a no-fly zone in the vaguest sense of the term at first glance. But as any pilot knows, there's always, you know, fine print. So the no-fly zone, as listed at the South Pole Station because of ARO, simply provides a limit to the ability for a plane to fly too low. It sets the floor at 8,000 feet. You can't fly below 8,000 feet. A lot of people like to try to claim that there's a hole at South Pole Station and there's a no-fly zone that protects from you flying in an area that'll see the hole. And that's just total shenanigans. No-fly zone limits your ability to fly low, not high. So with that height available, you will see everything available to see, which is ice as far as the eye can see. There is no hole in the ice at the South Pole Station. There may be one somewhere else. I can't testify to the entirety of the continent. It's huge. All I can say is that when people are talking about there being a hole at the South Pole, they're full of crap. They don't know what they're talking about. They're taking something that they know very little about and just running with it. They, they say in other ways that, you know, a little information is a dangerous thing, and that's what pe these people are doing, is they're operating off of very little information.
the Atmospheric Research Observatory, as I testified uh, in D.C., I witnessed myself in doing my standard rounds in the winter season at South Pole Station that that building would, with great regularity, have a very powerful green laser beam shooting out of it into the cosmos. I believe through other things that I've located there, which is the, um, the chilled helium in a massive amount, it is chilled down to four degrees Kelvin in storage, which my understanding, this is something new that I'm learning about, it's called superfluids. Superfluids act very differently than other things in our scientific spectrum and are used for things called chemical lasers. Well, we had a superfluid and we had a laser. So I believe that what I'm learning on this is that it was probably a secondary means of long range communication and or another weapons platform. June 18th was my birthday, right after Dr. Greer's event of June 12th. On June 18th, the National Science Foundation website could have posted anything they wanted for a photograph. But on my birthday, I would say I got a gift from someone in the program because they posted a picture of the Arrow Building's green laser blasting into the cosmos, which verifies exactly what I saw. Interesting. And you think that might be a communication device? How would they be communicating with the laser? I, I don't understand the science of it. I just know that it exists. Okay. The laser, laser beam communication, direct line of sight, laser beam comms, microwave type comms, it exists. You say a lot of the crew members from the South Pole are experiencing Havana syndrome symptoms. What are some of those symptoms? Uh, they have mental degradation, troubles with their memory, fatigue, stuff like that, skin issues. Headaches? Yes. The Antarctica Treaty of 1959, an agreement signed by 12 nations in which Antarctica, the Antarctic continent was made demilitarized to be preserved for scientific research. What do you think about that? I think it's a load of malarkey. And I'm going to throw a gentleman's name out there that I have worked with. He told me very specifically at the time that we communicated. He's going to die when he sees this video. I worked with a gentleman by the name of Aaron Bontrager. And he was also previously contracted by Raytheon Polar Services as a cook to work on a cat train that went across the ice. And he said the express purpose for him, I should say, for that team working for Raytheon was they were searching for missile site locations. Okay. Correct. The whole idea of this being demilitarized is a load of baloney. How do you think they're getting, how, how are they powering this facility? I believe there's a secondary power source inside of the old pole that was built in 1957. What do you mean the old pole? The original pole. I should say, built in 1957, we referred to as Old Pole. Um, <clears throat> there was um, other facilities that were manufactured, different stages of inhabitation of crew. So 1957 was the first one. All right, guys, I know that this is going on hour number four. I'm sorry. It's just every time I hear something that triggers me. Think of Santa Claus. 
right? Santa Claus is actually a old explanation for communication, right? The old pole, the North Pole, referred to the ancient shaft that was in the North Pole. And that's how the, uh, that's how some of the creep, or not creep, some of the beings would communicate the gifts of knowledge to the humans on earth. Because every piece of knowledge was viewed as a gift from the gods. Santa Claus, the story of Santa Claus explained how on a certain day of the year that a that a laser frequency, the earth would align with a certain line of communication that the North Pole would receive a broadcast on that day. And the people of Earth would get a gift of knowledge from the North Pole all at once from one of the gods. And that's where the original story-ish of Santa Claus came from, was receiving the gifts of the gods on one night all over the world to God's children. We remember the North Pole went into the pole and used the earth to send out the messages to the rest of the people at the pyramids. Just thought you guys would find that interesting. I digress. It predates the Antarctic Treaty, which means that they could have had nuclear power there. I believe they did have nuclear power there, and that since then they may have maintained it, almost like a grandfather clause, or that they may have new, more exotic systems that are not in the legalese of the treaty. Why do you think Antarctica is a no-fly zone? Antarctica is not a no-fly zone. Well, uh, arrow. 
commonly referred to as a no-fly zone. Why? It's it's a misnomer. You can fly right over the no-fly zone. You just have to be higher than 8,000 feet. Well, I'm asking, why do you have to be higher than 8,000 oh, feet? Oh, because, because of the... Uh, they're doing science on the uh, the cleanliness of the air, so they just don't want it tainted. Similarly, there's no land traffic allowed in that area. So you can take a snow machine. If I wanted to go visit the building to do my rounds, I could take a snow machine up to a certain point, and then I had to stop the snow machine and walk because simply the exhaust gases from the machine would taint their sensors. So also the only reason they're trying to block out vehicular activity is to keep the exhaust gases out of their sensors. How do you get there? How do you get to Arrow? Yeah. It's within walking distance of the elevated station. How do you, how do you fly into Antarctica? Uh, you fly in with a, a Herc LC-130, um, Herc on skis, and you just come in from outside of that quadrant okay. or, or, or above 8,000 feet. Okay. How, how much air traffic is going around there? Uh, during the summer seasons, 24 hours of operation, they typically have a, hu a few Hercs on deck idling um, most of the time. And a lot of, uh, a lot of fuel is brought in by Herc. Uh, our waste is brought out by Herc when the airmen will allow themselves to be a flying garbage can, as they claim. But um, yeah, basically almost, almost all operations and logistics were done by Herc while we were there. In my 2010 season, they had brought in their first fuel haul over land as kind of an experiment to the process. And it's my understanding that they call this a traverse, that they have since increased traverse activity to drag large fuel bladders across the ice to resupply the fuel that way, being more economic than doing it by Herc and then affording that um, volume of Herc space that's not being utilized for fuel now can of course do other things. The, the flight operations are almost 24 hours a day during the summer season because nothing moves in the winter season. So everything has to occur in a certain window. Okay. Man, back to the putting voices in people's heads. Um, are you aware of any ways to defend against that? Know thyself. It's an ancient practice and it's an ancient practice for a reason. These modern technologies are bastardizations of ancient techniques. Way back in the day, they would call someone a magician who was adept at this skill. I could walk into the room and I would potentially have that skill set to put my thought in your head. It's just a technique. It's completely doable. But now we have people that are no longer going through these schools of nobility to learn to practice these things nicely. And we have evil people that are taking technologies and utilizing them. Because again, it's just simply electromagnetic impulses. They can be read, they can be used, they can be hijacked. Eric, is there anything that I'm missing that you wanna to bring to the public? Hmm, that's a great question. I wanna emphasize that we are currently in a state of war that people aren't realizing. What is that? These weapons are being wielded around us, against us. Uh, there are power players that are uh, above nation states. Geographical boundaries and political parties mean very little to the wealthy elite on this planet. We're, we're pawns, we're chattel. Um, I am uh, a person for the people. We, the people of this planet, deserve a better future than the one we are being presented. We've, we've all, through our blood, sweat, and tears, we've invested 
here in the United States. We've invested our taxpayer dollars for these people to create weapon systems that they're using against us. This is, it's a sin. It's illegal. It's a sin. It's immoral. And we have to do better for the future generations of this planet. Are you worried for your safety? No. Why not? I'm, I'm just simply beyond that. I don't, um, I don't really care what happens to me. I care about doing the right thing. Do you think you're in danger? I guess theoretically people don't like me doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I would say probably not. Fair enough. But um, work, if, if that's it, that's a lot of info in a short amount of time. And I really appreciate you coming here mm -hmm. and, um, and inform us all. Mm -hmm. So have you been approached by any media outlets? I've been approached by a lot of people. Really? And I pretty much tell them to go scratch. Why do you tell them that? Because I can tell from the way that they approach me, they're not looking to do justice by what I'm saying. Um, they're what I refer to as dissipators, people that are looking to waste my energy, divert it into the wrong direction. Uh, I'm very fortunate, and I would say blessed, to have met someone like yourself who seems to be on the up and up and going um, to fight the good fight on this stuff to get to the actual brass tax truth and present it to the world in an untainted capacity. There's, there's a lot of bad things going on on this planet. I'm sure that you've experienced it yourself firsthand, and you're aware that a lot of people don't know that these things are happening in the shadows. I want people to know what's really going on on this planet so they can make educated decisions about what they have to do uh, to protect themselves and their children. Well, that's very noble of you. Man, I really appreciate it. I, I have, uh, I have, I don't, that's a lot of info to process. I understand. It's going to take me a minute to come up with questions and would you be willing to come back? I would love to come back. Let me digest this and then we'll come up with a date and do a longer form interview. I gotta wrap my head around this stuff. Understood. All right, guys. Well, that's the end of the show. Four hours and 15 minutes later. Those of you left watching, please, I cannot stress enough to call Calix and get a Liberty laptop when you need it. You're going to really need it. And if you don't have it, you're not going to be able to access the information you need because you don't you won't know the places on the deep web that you need to go and how to get there so think of the liberty laptop as your emergency communications device. Call Patrick at 702-845-8276. If you have a sister, a brother, someone that as this goes down, 
you're going to want to communicate with, get them one too and make sure they learn how to use it. Learn together. Make sure you guys learn how to communicate with each other on the deep web because that's going to be the only place to communicate the truth of what's going on. Understand? I hope you do. All right, guys. Have a great day. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Love you. Bye-bye.